There we go. It is on. Finally, welcome to Break the Rules. BreaktheRules.tv. I'm your host, Lefliakov, at LeftPo on Twitter. And today we are sowing discourse with Chaos Prime. Or I don't know if you want to go by Chaos, just Chaos or Chaos Prime. Whichever yeah, just one chaos. you want. Excellent. Chaos. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And we also have Simon... Simon DiDio, and uh, Simon's going to be sitting in over here, and later on we're going to get more into the uh, academic side because you are uh, you are part of Carnegie Mellon University. That's right. Very and uh, c- can you tell us real quick what it is that you are studying before we go back <laughs> to chaos and uh, start to uh, sow the discourse? Sure. Um, I'm in a funny department. We're kind of the intersection of economics, psychology, cognitive science, mm-hmm. uh, we run a thing called the Laboratory for Social Minds. We study uh, large-scale behavior in the human animal. Perfect. I think this fits r- right in. So, Chaos Prime, you, on the other hand, are a cognitive arms dealer. Can you please tell us what cognitive arms dealing is all about? And, of course, we got the great Giovanni Penicietti. Oh, of course. I'm always here. Yes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I can probably do that. What I really mean by, you know, being a cognitive arms dealer is that I want to empower people using cognitive mechanisms. Um, I want to find ways that people are being blocked or disempowered by things in cognitive spaces, by which I specifically don't mean linguistic spaces. Um, Like the identification of language with cognition is one of the worst things about society. But uh, so, you know, I I like to explore uh, things like, you know, occult weirdness and and like, I don't know, odd corners of of, uh, things and, you know, try and find little little fortune cookies. Uh, You know, I'm definitely one of those tweet like a fortune cookie type motherfuckers um, that will in, in some way, you know, maybe have a chance of, you know, getting somebody a, a perspective that is useful to, to them in some way. Um, and a lot of this is reliant on uh, a chaos theory perspective um, where, you know, sensitive dependence on initial conditions means that there is no factor so small that it is reliably insignificant. Um, so one of the things that I'm trying to do is Give, give there a, just to have there be a chance of getting just the right thing in front of just the right person at just the right time uh, to make something good happen. Um, yeah. And kind of hoping that uh, some of the, the weird junk in my hind brain will be able to you know, guide me to, you know, putting that out there in, in, in just the right way. And part of what I'm doing by building myself as an arms dealer is, you know, well, Arms dealers are, you know, they're horrible people, right? They deal to both sides in a conflict. They love it when the conflict escalates. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not a, a good person who's, a, who's on the right side, who's like, you know, only gonna you know, do the right thing for the right people. Um, and, you know, that's, that's very much me. Like, everybody's welcome. I, you know, every, everybody who wants to come pick up any of these cognitive arms can do so. Um, <laughs> and, well, and that's well, it then, so, What's that? Go on, Gio. No, well, I was going to ask like a question, but yeah, yeah. If if I cut you off, I'm very sorry. 
Oh, no, I would you, oh, oh damn it. I, I was just <laughs> going to ask, uh, what do you see as being some of the negative patterns? I mean, obviously, we see a lot of them today, but if you can point at just a couple, what are some of the biggest uh, uh, things that are grinding your gears about the way people communicate today and the uh, patterns their minds form? Hmm, things, things are grinding my gears. Um, wow, it's like I tweet about, like, just that kind of thing all the time. And right now I can't think of anything. Um, well, because you can't think of anything, I'm going to ask everybody to subscribe right now for all the people who are not subscribed, including the strange person over here from uh, Periscope. I thought Periscope's dead now. Apparently it's still going really strange. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hauntology upon Twitter. So absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's we're in, It's an interesting position. Um, we have, uh, well, we actually have a, a fourth person, uh, we sorry, do, fifth. Yeah. We have uh, ZHP friend of the show, Zero oh, yes. Lovecraft, who's going to stream snipe in the comments. So, um, but uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting, and uh, hopefully, maybe Jules can make it. Uh, hopefully, um, I think it's interesting because we have two guests that are both um, people of importance that I feel that you know we should do uh, with Professor Simon a sewing discourse one time. But I wanted to ask you, Chaos. Uh, you mentioned two things of interest that that maybe both of you can speak on. Um, also, like I wanted to get to the distinction between rationalism and neo-rationalism, and please do not dumb it down for me. But, um, um, or I'll kill you. you fucking, right? Or I'll kill you. <laughs> but as is tradition. Yeah, but uh, one, one number one would be um, this connection you, or rather the distinction between uh, consciousness and, and language itself, and how the correlation, or rather the arising of both. Uh, is, has been disastrous. I remember reading this green text about how Noam Chomsky basically ruined linguistics. But another thing too would be um, before that, just give a, a general um, overview of your definition of, of uh, chaos theory, because it seems that chaos, uh, especially chaos mathematics, it's, you know, it, it had like a new agey connotation in the nineties, you know, Ralph Abraham with the trilogues with Terrence McKenna uh, you know, the butterfly flapping, it's kind of like Schwangza, like Don Cho, you know, does he dream of the butterfly? Um, so, but what is the more serious grounding behind um, chaos theory? And at least in you and, and Professor Simon's, uh, dis, I guess, uh, rigmarole of, of what you, what, what immediately comes to mind when you think of chaos? Well, here's what immediately comes to mind for me, Gio. Oh, God. <laughs> it, do it. <laughs> what, what, what comes to mind, love? Come on. No, it's on the screen. I don't know if you have oh, speaker oh, view oh. or gallery view. So if you have gallery view, then you get to see the Discord chat. By the way, I really appreciate all the questions in the Discord, including from Zero HP. Uh, it's about Bronze Age mindset, so we're going to get to that question as well. <laughs> and also, uh, if you are not Zero HP, send us Super Chat. Chats. Well, I in think fact, Evo if you Psych are Zero some... HP, send yeah. us Super Chats too. Well, Evo's sake, I think, inevitably will come up in this conversation. We'll, we'll, yes, we'll and, and for those who don't know the character that I posted over here, this is uh, Chaos from uh, Sonic Adventure, from the Sonic Adventure series. Yeah. So there we go. That's oh uh, that's my, my definition of chaos. <laughs> All he right. was like... He was like this guy who was like the guardian of the chaos, like the master emeralds. <laughs> Why am I talking about this? Anyway, chaos, go on. The chaos emeralds? Yes, the chaos, chaos emeralds. God, don't make me go oh, down this boy. road, please. So, so what you're saying, Lev, is that for you, chaos is about how you got to go fast. That's that's what I'm hearing. Here. Well, there's a technique called chaos control where you can use the chaos emeralds to teleport. <laughs> well, as, as Paul Virilio said, when we reach total speed... 
Uh, never mind. I'm not even going to finish that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. What, what are what are my big uh, takeaways from, from Chaos 3? I mean, obviously, you know, sensitive dependence on initial conditions is, is you know, a, a key thing there. Um, like, just the, the fact that in, in complex dynamical systems, uh, you know, our intuition and really, like, you know, the foundation of a lot of our, like, large-scale modeling for, you know, most of the 20th century, at least, and, you know, in various ways continuing on, is based on the, the idea that small factors are going to drop out, um, that, like, you can just look at the big uh, trends and, you know, that's, that's just going to swamp everything. And, you know, what people in, in the, the chaos and complexity fields found was that that is absolutely not the case, that uh, small factors uh, can cascade and compound. And, you know, obviously the, the, the butterfly effect, which is one of the things that my uh, avatar there is, is referring to, um, shaped like a butterfly, which also means it's shaped like a Lawrence attractor, which is one of the, you know, classic cool images uh, coming out of uh, chaos theory, illustrating uh, one of the first strange attractors uh, discovered. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, another is, you know, where strange attractors and every other kind of attractor lives, which is phase space modeling, uh, which is, you know, just a, a endlessly useful way of thinking about systems, just spaces where each dimension of the, of the space is a degree of freedom of the system. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, Fractals are cool. Who doesn't like fractals? Uh, who doesn't like self-similarity? Um, I mean, you know, internet traffic engineers don't like self-similarity because, you know, that's one of the, the best known properties of internet traffic is that mm. it's self-similar, which means that it's incredibly hard to provision capacity. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, mm. uh, other, other than them, other people like self-similarity. Um, I don't know. What else? What well, there was this uh, owl mask uh, picture that I posted, which yeah, is similar that's to... That's a large tractor. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to uh, fractals, I was having a conversation yesterday on our BTR Discord. By the way, for anybody who is not a member of that Discord, it is in the description of this video right at the top. Please go there, become a member. But anyway, in Discord, we were talking about uh, the uh, fractals that one would see when they would have a uh, psychedelic experience, like whether it's under uh, DMT or LSD or even cannabis. Like I had experiences seeing multiple fractal uh, animations mm -hmm. just by uh, smoking a joint. But uh, what's interesting to me here is, like, the images that people have had, and this may be going a little bit off off topic, but I'm still curious about it. The images that people have had in their heads of uh, elves, fairies, gnomes, uh, various uh, blood-drinking uh, demons in Tibetan Buddhism, like, these are pictures that have been drawn of, you know, pretty, like, uh, realistic looking, uh, well, relatively realistic looking creatures, but not like an Alex Gray painting. You know, like an Alex Gray painting would have all these fractals again and like like a little thing inside of a bigger thing. But uh, these traditional paintings didn't have any fractalization whatsoever. So I'm just curious about what exactly people experience. And I don't know if you have personally done psychedelics, if this is something that you are interested in. Uh, well, let me ask you that first then, just so we kind of set it up. Have you done psychedelics before? Yeah, yeah. LSD, psilocybin. So under LSD and psilocybin, did you notice these uh, repeating fractals? Uh, I don't remember so anything. Well, nothing leapt out at me as being, I don't know, 
particularly you know fractal in nature i mean <clears throat> the uh, reason why i bring this up is people when they are in this psychedelic state a lot of well i wouldn't say a lot of time but a lot of the images that people bring back you know drawing these elves and whatever they have this psychedelic uh, fractal architecture and these are supposed yeah. to be reminiscent of a lot of these fairy stories people talking about seeing yeah. these extra dimensional uh, creatures and uh what i'm curious about here is what exactly is the you know the clearer truth if there is one when it comes to whether these are creatures that are experienced as these psychedelic fractal thought forms or whether this is just what they look like to a lot of Americans uh, and Amazonians who happen to do these particular psychedelics, and whether there is some kind of a construction that we can find the more we meditate and the more we engage in a lot of these spiritual practices that'll give us a better idea of what's going on. Because again, like, I don't want to go all, uh, you know, new age here, but I think it does come down a lot to sacred geometry. And I think sacred geometry and fractalness... Um, interact with each other in a very interesting way yeah. to create a lot of these forms. But I'm curious if you have any, uh, any thoughts on this as well. I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I, I don't know if we should necessarily divert into them just now, but uh... yeah, we, 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 we could save it a little bit for later. We can have that be as a cliffhanger for the people who are curious about it so that they are going to stick around. So let's save that a little bit for later. Let's go back to the original question that I asked, which is how do you negatively react or what are the negative, what are the specific things that make you negatively react to the way that people's minds work today? Now that you've had a little uh, bit more time to, it's uh, some more time to think about. Yes, stuff. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, I guess routinely pisses me off the most is people par participating in systems poorly. Um, like one of the, one of the things that. I you know find most appealing about uh, like the the culture of of New York City for for example is that like people will consistently like spend one second of their time to save you three seconds of theirs of of, of yours um, if you know there's there isn't a scarcity situation involved like they'll hold the door for door for you because you know, you'll also hold the door for them. Like, you know, everybody, you know, is, is willing to pay a little cost that, you know, doesn't, you know, there's, there's, there's no competition involved um, that makes, you know, everything work, work more smoothly. But, you know, if there's scarcity, if it's, you know, one, if there's one seat left on the side, on the subway, then, you know, they'll stab you to get that. But, you know, if, if there is no scarcity, then, you know, you get a lot of, of this, you know, like low key, uh, you know, systemic operation smoothing behavior um you know but then you've you've got somebody who like you know stands in the middle of the sidewalk to check their phone instead of pulling out to the side or or like you know other random you know random little things like that disproportionately bother me um like it there there are so many positive sum games uh that can be played with the the, the systems that we, that we all participate in that like People seem to arbitrarily like, uh, you know, playing them as zero sum or negative sum, um, you know, just, just bugs me. Um, like, 
Yeah. But also well, that's the system's problem itself, right? Because you're, um, I'm thinking of just the nature of the city itself being almost like an organism that has to rely on a certain number of set um, theories or interactions in order to achieve certain flows of productivity, whatever metric that may be. So I'm, I'm wondering, just like thinking in the abstract, um, what is it when people <laughs> is behaving badly in a, yeah, the card example, yes. there you go, is uh -huh. behaving badly within a particular system. Um, is that something that is just for pure, you know, purely out of NUI or disruption or the need to, uh, you know, see things uh, burn? Or is there sort of another aspect to why people participate badly in whatever given system is there something that could per perhaps lead to and i know creative destruction is sort of like a meme it's sort of like you know it's it's debatable whether it's real especially in, in a market system but do you think that there's something else driving why people quote unquote behave badly within a given context of a system yeah, you know, I, I think there's you know a, a thousand different reasons you know from just lack of awareness to like you know, preoccupation, uh, just, you know, whatever, you know, whatever input they're dealing with is, is too high amplitude for, you know, it just drowns out other considerations. Um, and yeah, and, you know, sometimes, pe you know, people are fucking pissed off, like, you know, they're, you know, um, you know one of the features of the kinds of, of systems that we're doing is that they hurt, like, they, they are painful to participate in because they are significantly alien to the you know the biological structures that we are built of um so adapting and and like adapt adaptation hurts you know change is is painful um so you know people you know generally uh you know have a a fair amount of that to to be pissed off about you know have you seen the documentary uh, series Can't Get You Out of My Head? I know, Gio, you were talking about uh, that earlier. I haven't seen the full thing, but I'm up to episode three now. And they are talking about how a lot of uh, uh, the people who ended up moving to the suburbs, you know, to have this uh, family unit structure, they felt uh, pretty isolated. And that's when volume started coming on the rise. And it was selling like yeah. hotcakes, all the housewives reading that stuff up. But then even the husband started getting into the act. So, uh, that and I think that was the Sackler, the the patriarch of the Sackler family, who then went on to make oxies and all the stuff a lot of the Americans know and love mm -hmm. today, unfortunately. So uh, I don't know. It, do, it does not seem like a stable system, but at the same time, it seems like a lot of people are too tired to just overexerted by you know all the all the information that they're being bombarded by that they and just the want to sit down and do nothing. So, like, I don't see there being some kind of a revolution. I mean, kids go out, they, like, I also wonder if we would have had the same BLM protest going on in the same way that the, you know, they were this uh, past summer, if not for the ability to have it all be captured. Like, how much do you think that reward mechanism also plays a role in uh, young people uh, during uh, 2020 going out? Yeah, sure. Seeing representation, like knowing that what you're doing is is visible, uh, like you know, that's a you know one of the many ways that things get to feel meaningful for people. Um, yeah. Visibly but now. but do you think uh, there's going to be a certain point where it's going to, if it hasn't already, start to morph into something that 
right now we would look at it and just be completely disgusted by it like would there be a return to certain things that we would be considered you know that would be considered to be to be absolutely abhorrent i don't know like i'm thinking like uh the roman Colosseum, where they brought in like the poor lions and we're killing the lions and you know doing all the uh you know all all, all the stabbing with the swords of the gladiators i don't know like that just seems so far away from our reality today like is it, uh, is it, is it that far like you know one of the one of the things i always think about in this kind of topic is like you know old cyberpunk stories where like you know the stand-up routines are basically just like people going up on stage and driving nails into their heads and whatnot like self-mutilating for you know you know to for a, a moment of of the the communal attention and that like, already happens by the way yeah <laughs> and yeah we we have we have plenty of that going on we're doing we're doing you know lots of that there's a lot of lots of self-mutilation for for attention going on well, there was Wood. Uh, I was about to say Woody Allen. There was Gigi Allen back in the day. Imagine if Woody Allen played Gigi Allen. By the way, oh bite it, you scum. That would that would be a fun be movie. Weird, uh, <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. That, that no, it's leads... still not too late. He's still around. It's still not too late to do that. But uh, but yeah, like well, I guess like that leads to the question of like rational agency and why there is. An existence of like a thanatoic sort of metric in society why do people feel destruction itself is something uh is is that not like a violation of like a pure i don't know rational choice metric or something like that so I, I don't your know. rationality yeah uh, never touch this stuff <laughs> Well, huh. I am I am kind of curious then if we could go into the whole rational versus I was about to say super rational because of that whole super straight thing that's going on right now. Yeah. But what was it? Post rational? <laughs> uh, neo rational. Neo rational. Thank you. I don't, I don't know what the neo rationalists are about. You know, I mostly hang about with the post rads. But yeah. Okay, post rational. Okay, so can you explain oh. what post rational is versus the? Uh, uh, you know, the rationalists of the uh, Slater star codex, as I like to call it. Uh, um, I mean, you know, the Slate star codex, I, I found it interesting, actually, the, the, the last time that, uh, you know, Scott Alexander was the, the, the rationalist who came to mind, not Eliezer Yudkowsky. That was kind of amazing to me. Mm -hmm. Because, you mm -hmm. know, his big Yud is the, the, the center of like, you know, internet rationalism to me. Um, so, you know, the fact that Scott has gotten so much visibility is, uh, is very pleasing because I, I like Scott a lot better than I like Yud. So I think a lot uh, of people like Scott. Well, who, who um, is, yeah. uh, who is Yud for those who don't know, which would be, uh, me. Oh, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky is, uh, I don't know. He was, he was the guy who, you know, started less wrong with Robin Hanson back in the day, I guess. And like, um, I don't know got a bunch of AI risk, uh, you know, paranoia going and I don't know. He's, he's done a bunch of stuff. He wrote, wrote like, you know, this, this book called the sequences that is, you know, a bunch of basically sequences of posts off of less wrong that are like people, people love and are like, yay, this is, this is so great. Uh, Elias Ryukowski is te teaching us to, to think better and, and so on. And I mean, you know, he has, he has a lot going for him, but like, I don't know, he kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like in, in a lot of ways to me, you know, post rats are like kind of rationalist proximate people who are sick of Eliezer Yudkowsky in a lot of ways. Oh, wait, wait, what's this over uh, here? Super rat. There you go. This is my, this is my 
rough representation of super rational as opposed to purely or simply rational. There you go. <laughs> oh, wow. Go yeah. on, go on, go on. Sorry, I'm just trolling over here. But like, uh, you know, Yudkowsky, uh, I mean, you know, big Bayesian reasoning fanboy. Um, I don't know. What is, okay, what is Bayesian reasoning? You have to understand, we have to keep in mind that there are stupid people like myself here that don't know a lot of this stuff, so. Uh, yeah, I don't want to explain rationalism. No, well, like, Bayesian, <laughs> what is Bayesian? Okay, uh, like Bayesian probability, Bayesian reasoning is, is based on basically like evaluating propositions based on uh, an idea of your, your priors about the probabilities of each uh, you know, possible, you know, outcome or whatever, you know, whatever's on the then side of the, the if then, or, or, you know, the, the process, um, versus the, uh, like, in a like a, uh, risk, you know, cost benefit analysis in a kind of way evaluating, like what the, the values of the, the possible outcomes are. Um, so basically like you, you want to, uh, pay the most attention to outcomes that have a like the the highest like probability weighted by your priors uh, versus the the you know valence of the, the the outcome. So like if something is is like you know very likely according to you know what you're bringing to the table with, with what you think about the situation um, and uh, you know would be like very good or very bad, uh, then like you know that should be. You know, high up on your your list of things to to address in some fashion, whether you're going to like try to pursue that or you're going to try to mitigate the risk, um, so on, and like you know th things that are are you know relatively unlikely, you you don't need to uh, you know deal with unless they're like incredibly bad. Um, but that's where we get into things where like maybe we would come in with prior saying that the likelihood of a runaway AI uh, like turning everything into fucking paper clips is relatively low, but it would be extremely bad. So the fact that it's that bad uh, means that we should pay some fucking attention to it. Uh, like, even though, you know, you know, it's not necessarily something we're saying like, yeah, that's definitely going to happen kind of thing, uh, for example. Um, and that's, well, that, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, uh, I could go for something like yeah, no, that. I mean, yeah, and then, you know, Bayesianism fucking works, and like it's basically it's a formalization of the kind of of reasoning structure that the basic neural architecture of your brain does all the time. Um, and you know, I I made a uh, a shit post uh, uh, about this once that uh, I I almost hope made it in front of Yudkowsky at some point and pissed him off because it sounded you know like it like it might have. Uh, he he like you know said something something pissy at some point. Um, Excellent. But yeah. And by the way, people are asking, a... people are saying post rats. So here is a nudist beach rat that my father drew. <laughs> so yeah. I just wanted to share that We're with you guys. Furry erotica. <laughs> and by the way, Ostaf is here with us. Thank you very much, Ostaf, for coming, for coming in, buddy. I appreciate it. So hey, uh, it going? it's going great. So we had also uh, zero HP. He is still in the chat, and I am going to address some of his uh, questions. But first, zero HP had that uh, wonderful argument uh, back in the day about uh, rationalism, where he was talking about the uh, quokas. 
And mm -hmm. uh, it is interesting how that same uh, example was used by Moldbug later on. I'm not saying they're the same person. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying oh, is that... Uh, <laughs> no. Well, but, but what I am saying is that there seems to be a pushback on, let's say, more reactionary circles online to the idea of rationalism as a whole, where I think, again, people looking at Bronze Age mindset, things like that, people... I guess we were talking about Revenge of the Nerds earlier on and how now there seems to be more of this feeling of I'm not a nerd and the nerds are the ones who ruined everything. So instead, <laughs> I'm going to listen to my gut and I'm going to listen to my heart. And a lot of this rationalism is just going to destroy us in the end. Uh, what what would you uh, say to that? What, to... Uh, to well, to uh, this general I, I, notion that people are, uh, are uh, describing... We we only we only want to be vitalists. We we only wish to yes. you know, in you know let our our energies flow and so on. I mean, you know, I think to to some extent, um, you know, there's there's an element of the heart being in the right place there. Um, like you know, suppressing our our you know native energies and passions is a great you know error of like rational culture in in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that uh, the tools of rationality are very useful and important and forging those together with, you know, these, these vital energies is, you know, that's, you know, if, if you want to actually get any shit done, like that's, that's what you should be doing. Like you really, you know, I mean, do not need to be just like going out and like, you know, I don't know, hyping yourself up until you like punch a cop and, and you know, whatever the fuck, like. <laughs> yeah, or, or like punch a horse. You know, or a, like a horse, you know, horse. you know, like, horse. Don't, don't, don't punch <laughs> horses like, you know, burning bla blazing saddles was not like, you know, any kind of like didactic exercise here. Um, yeah. And uh, when it comes to uh, the other guests over here, since it is uh, 630, I want to open it up to uh, Simon and to uh, staff. So, uh, Simon, regarding a lot of this uh, talk about rationalism and then vitalism <laughs> kind of going against it and just like all these things going on right now, as somebody who is part of uh, the academia industrial complex or whatever it is that you want to call, uh, what has been your view looking at uh, things going on in the more underground online circle? I mean, look, it's not the fucking dark web, but you know what I mean. Just like people who are, you know, speaking truth to power in their own way on the internet some have been uh purged recently because that whole twitter thing i don't want to get into it right now but you know we, we all know what we're talking mm -hmm. uh, talking about here but uh this in general, also what... goes to information like what we were saying before about yeah of uh cognition itself being under threat by certain forces of not just censorship but also the curation of uh you meant like with bayesian reasoning i mean this is the basic fundamental of like ai programming as well or machine learning so what happens when basically everything that you're seeing online and elsewhere everything you shop for is being filtered through uh, algorithms that project certain outcomes or rather guide you towards certain outcomes what does that mean also for the nature of, of thought itself and how we, we live in a society um, and how and how certain bluntly. people like the bronze age uh, uh pervert fans are being led by uh caribbean algorithms <laughs> <laughs> it means that when you live long in a society society also lives in you well well there you go that's a good that's a good place to begin yeah um no it's i it's it's very interesting to watch the you know yukowski um 
Bay Area rationalism, right? You sort of take over a chunk of whatever nerd space. Um, it's, you know, from the, you know, you know, greetings from the cathedral, right? Speaking from the cathedral, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting heresy, right? It's like you take one book, um, you know, out of probably the Old Testament and you, you read it and reread it obsessively. And so that it just watching, um, you know, people actually form self-help groups, you know, like this is the new version of Est, yeah. right? San Francisco is, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I first started working on these groups, I, I talked to a friend of mine and um, I said, you know, look, after, you know, two years of work, I, I've discovered there are cults in California. <laughs> and, you know, after another year, I was like, I've just, they use LSD to control people, right? Oh, so, um, you know, this is, this is how, how long it takes academia to catch up. We need, yes, um, we need the right wing Eastland Institute right now. So, <laughs> there you go. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and of course, you know, the other thing is, I mean, this is, I think it's, I think it's best to think of Yukowski and, um, and I don't mean to speak against him personally or to him personally, just this representation. Um, you know, I think it's, I think Foucault is the right, perhaps the right lens here, right? This is a discourse. It's a discourse that doesn't really locate itself in any particular person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's primarily, I would say disciplinary regime, right? So what I, what I notice, and I'm going to speak informally, right? What I notice is that people use this to structure their lives, um, in a regulatory way, right? To set boundaries on, you know, what they can think and how they think and where they think. So it's like these straight back chairs. And so people are sitting in straight back chairs and they, oh, this is gonna make, you know, this is gonna improve my posture, <laughs> right? Um, the other thing I noticed, and again, this is just informally, right? When I, when I would go visit these, these um, you know, places um, and uh, you know, many, how do I put this, many wonderful people in these places, many great gentlemen and ladies in these places. Um, you know, there was this question, there's this question like, what are we improving our posture for, right? We're going to think more rationally, but what's the win? And so this was something that, you know, people really struggled with. Um, you know, Yudkowsky, God bless this guy, right? It's like, oh, the win is saving humankind from this like imagined apocalypse that I've just right. generated, right? And that's great, right? So, you know, that's super altruistic. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, certifiable, but at least, you know, this is a person with a good soul you know, stranded in minus Mario world, like minus world. Um, I think I noticed was like a huge interest in um, uh, this whole pickup artist scene. This was really weird, right? So I like mm. show up and I, I know I've got my, you know, East Coast, uh, you know, sports code, right? And someone's like, oh, you're peacocking. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> sitting in this like most <laughs> rational space of all time. Oh. And, and I'm like, wait a second, like this, I, I've done research on this, but you know, this is weird, right? Who knew? Um, so that was part of it, um, you know, power, seasteading, the Peter Thiel universe. Um, but there was this missing, there was this gap, right? Um, and the gap is in part, uh, you know, okay, Bayesian reasoning, what is it? Like, Levy, you asked this question, right? That it's a story about how to compose your beliefs together so that you never contradict yourself. First of all, that's a good question. Is that a, is that a reasonable goal in life, right? I'm not sure. Um, is, is self-consistency a reasonable goal? You might think of this as the most horrifying thing to be held to your, to your, to your prior states of mind. Um, but one of the things that's also missing, it's like, this is what you believe. But then there's this other question in folk psychology, like, what do you want, right? So yeah. this, is, I, this is this big yeah. gap. And I think, you know, you talk about people going bananas on the object internet. Petit monde, that, yeah, it's like, that, right, okay. the object, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, what is that thing? Um, I mean, okay, Joe, I think this is, Lacan, right? I, 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 this is way, you know, above my pay grade. 
but um oh don't you know, worry if, most lacanians have never read lacan so it's it's oh, don't worry. oh okay well that's good that's uh, <laughs> oh they're like marxists <laughs> <They're, laughs> oh, yeah right have you have you read volume eight of the of das kapital uh, but yeah so i think that's you know that maybe what's driving people mad on the internet is not uh the problem of reason but the problem of desire i think oh and that's yeah that's that's what i saw i mean look there was this discipline of um of thought. Uh, and I mean, I'll just say some wonderful stories. So there's really good people. But I remember the first time I was out there, we went to a Chinese restaurant and there's like 30 people and they're, you know, kind of grad student vibe. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to get stuck with this check. I know it. I'm going to get stuck with the check. And uh, then at the end, everyone's like, all right, we're going to pull out. And they like, you know, you pull out your quantum random number generator and they pick someone at random to pay the bill. And, you know, in expectation value, you split the bill. So these sort of these wonderful moments in which they transpose a chunk of you know, whatever 1970s statistics into lived experience, that's fine. Um, but then this next stage, which is, okay, now supposedly Yudkowsky has given you superpowers equivalent to a real world Harry Potter. So wh what are you going to wish for? And that's, that's when things, that's when the neo rats and the post rats and the NRX crew, that's when things get, psychoanalytically very revealing maybe geo i'd say that oh yes very so well even when you start trying to learn how to want <laughs> and sometimes when you want something that bad then you'll start crafting a whole world of wotanshang around that desire itself uh, well but, one of my favorite passages is um it's a rare condition this day and age to read any mm -hmm. good news on a newspaper page love and tradition of the grand design some people say it's even harder to find what what lyric or where is that from? That's from the uh, for those who don't know, that's from the Family Matters theme song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Well, it's true. I mean, but it's actually that's interesting. Philadelphia that both, born and bred. Yeah. That, that both on, Full House, Full House, and Family Matters, they both had very similar theme songs. Not only in the way that they were composed, but even in the lyrics. Uh, let's see the lyrics for uh, Full House. Everywhere you look, uh, it was. Um, Whatever happened to predictability, the milkman, the paper boy, the evening TV, how did I get to living here? Somebody tell me, please, this old world's confusing me. So there we go. Like, it's a very well, that, that was the last of gasp of the uh, the wholesome American uh, sitcom or family sitcom till <laughs> the Simpsons murdered them back when the Simpsons were edgy. Uh, and it was almost like you could see that fatalism of like, oh, what happened? Uh, but no, it's 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 interesting you mentioned, um, uh, Professor. Uh, you must have done your research because I am a pretty hardcore Foucauldian, and so this connection. Uh -oh. I, <laughs> um, but, uh, Is that a come on? No, go on. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I like to consider myself a right Foucauldian, a right hitting alien. But it's go, it go is on. it is true. I I feel like a lot of this discourse is based around or predicated on um this the, the disciplinary aspect of this internalized servitude towards one's own capacity for reason and one's own tools mm. of reason but also mm. what comes up is what you were describing is essentially the image of thought right like this this is very much delusion right like in the size of control the image of thought is something that predi is predicated on the assumptions you make about thinking itself about the way you approach certain questions. And I feel that the rationalists or the neo rats, or whatever the fuck, I, I think with the exception of Negristani, they really don't think about the ways in which thinking itself is conditioned by 
certain meta assumptions of thinking itself. And I know this sounds very mm-hmm. like nerdy and I don't know, very like theory cell, but it, that's just, to me, it just opens up like, you know, so much, I mean, uh, chaos and hopeful abandoning. You two can talk about this and hopefully you could talk about the experience in, in academia as well from the other perspective. Right. So, yeah. I can say that with what you're saying, they do try. Um, and one of the one of the things that's difficult in talking about, like, you know, the rats versus the post rats is that like anything, you know, anything you might be tempted to say, like, oh, you know, rats do this, whereas post rats do that. And like, you know, post rats, like, you know, think, think about like, you know, like deep emotive processes and and like, you know, regard things in terms of, of like, you know, broad constructions of, of, you know, cognition and cybernetics and, and, and so on. Um, and like, you know, think about gods and demons and, and whatnot, like any of that, you can find rats who are doing it. Um, like, you know, like it's, you know, there, there, there's, there's a lot going on in the, in the rat sphere. Um, and a lot of that leads, leads to, to them, like basically like descending into shit posting mode, which is, is, you know, that's, really how you become a post rat is like you you basically stop making you know like trying really hard posts on less wrong and you just kind of you know start like you know fucking around on twitter um <clears throat> but like you know there's there's a lot of a, attempts to to examine uh the you know the the preconditions of thought the you know the the limitations of the the tools that they're using to think and uh you mm-hmm. know, um you know, language itself and so on. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it, it never seemed to, to go far enough uh, to me, but like, you know, there's, there's effort there. Oh yeah. I, you know, I, I guess I wanted to stick up for him a little bit. Well, what is their end I, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> go, go on, uh, Simon, um, then Gio. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Love, I mean, I, I, Gio, I think that's a great question, right? What is the end game? Um, and have, you know, has anyone thought that? Um, I mean, two thoughts. And one thing, I mean, is, is and this is when, whenever we study, uh, and I need a good name for this, actually, a colleague of mine, Chloe Perry, and I talked about um, uh, counter epistemic communities is a good term, mm-hmm. right? So these are groups whose, um, you know, like you have a countercultural group, and this is like, okay, we're going to rear, you know, dog collars. Um, and, you know, we're going to break certain norms of behavior. The counter epistemic groups like we're going to break certain norms of reasoning right we're going to we're going to smash in one direction or another the the prevailing mode and so the rationalists do this nrx does this really obviously i mean yarvin is a, is a kind of classic example uh, but so when we study these groups you know 98 percent of them I'm looking at my graphs on on the on this on the pin to my wall here uh, and it's like exactly as ks says right uh, it's you know it's a self-similar graph what that means is you get these kind of mega creatures who are dominating the space, like Mikowski, um, you know, Red Pill is one of the groups we study. Um, but the other thing it means is like 99% of these people show up, you know, they're like that uh, weird, um, you know, thing that Avi Loeb's obsessed by, right? Like, like they just pass through this space for, you know, a day, a week, a month, and then they're gone, right? So, you know, when we, when we think about these groups, we also said, I mean, one of the kind of crucial things is what does it do to somebody who's there for like 10 minutes, right? Most people are tourists, right? And in fact, the overwhelming majority of tourists. So that's a, that's a really, that's a kind of piece of the puzzle there. Um, you know, the, 
the other thing I just I just love about this remark that that you make us is you know this is people with an image of thinking right and that I mean this goes all the way back to Hegel right trying to talk about a the object of thought itself uh, what you get immediately is of course this kind of stacked infinitude of you know let's represent representation to ourselves and represent the representation of representation to yeah. ourselves and so on <laughs> so there's there's something That's odd about where all you, the way yeah. back to the master and slave yeah well exactly right what is it you know where's the where's the asymptote um, what's funny is if you, if you look at some of the stuff that, that, and again, Yukowski, just to take him as a sort of ca character, um, when you, when you go back and look at him, um, there's none of that reflexive thought, uh, at least at the beginning. And it's mostly, what it reminds me the most of is like scientific American, right? It's like science, this is great. <laughs> like, I'm going to blow your mind with this, you know, one weird yeah. trick. So Geo, but please go on. I mean, you, many, many. And then from there, shading kind of into like Reddit atheist sort of territory. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there's some great yeah. stuff written about that. I, I won't, I won't plagiarize it, but Geo, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that, that's great. That because ha, ha, being someone who also has spent a lot of time studying, well, being a part of as well, various like internet, like dissident internet ecologies. Um, it, it, it's, there's this weird sort of convergence with, um, like schizo culture on the internet and, and breaking down and how sort of uh, I had this article once it was on the original um, it was on the original uh, what was it called autistic mercury website um, and it was I, I called it a uh, shark wombing where people that try to achieve mainstream clout they'll like sort of become they'll be within an internet ecology I think I called it um, the the uh, I had like some weird long drawn out name for it uh, that was like really pretentious and stupid. What was it called? Uh, digital savagery is how um, sort of an, uh, an online model of uh, hostile ecologies where on the internet where it's like people, they, you know how like sharks, tiger sharks are born, right? They basically fight each other in the open womb. Uh, it's like this water. Um, it's like a, 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 a sack filled womb filled with uh uh, embryonic fluid and they have to like fight each other to get out and whoever swims out that's the one that gets born right so I said that this is sort of a model I know it's it's totally death metal like it's like listening to 90s uh, cannibal corpse um, so I said that that is similar to like a lot of these online spaces where in the pursuit of achieving some sort of like mainstream success or grift you have a lot of like interactions between people that is essentially boiled down to I'm going to stab as many backs as I can. So then I will achieve like transcendence. And of course I was talking about people on YouTube <laughs> and so forth. So it, what happens is there's a lot of repeatability between a lot of these inter, uh, internet based interactions between like largely marginalized, um, very underground sort of groups. And I feel that uh, to me, it's like it's it's a really crazy sort of uh, observation of what happens when people are totally uninhibited by anonymity and other forces, mm -hmm. and and given sort of the older attitude of the internet being like this isn't a place where serious things happen, right? This is a place where people can sort of let their like libidinal economy just like totally enter like a, a deregulated bear market. So now it's like what happens when you take a bunch of people who are neuroatypical together and put them in the same space. And then they create these sort of these hierarchies predicated upon clout posting, um, internet drama, so forth. And that becomes the fuel I said for a lot of these interactions. But, but then that's the question of like, does this, is, is it just that 
in the information society is this a unique occurrence or is this always been but now we have like this accelerated version of like this weird like you know taboo mores of social interaction between people like like a lot of the business like having spent some time in academia not like i got to the master's level put it that way but like it seems like the weird Byzantine regulations of behavior and thinking, it's almost like, not that I'm sympathetic to that, but it's almost like, uh, oh, maybe, maybe uh, there's a point to it. It's like, uh, maybe it's a prison- useless. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like the prison YouTuber, Wes Watson. Uh, he's like, you know, people talk about politics in the federal pen. If there wasn't politics, people would get stabbed left and right. <laughs> politics being like the, the clicks in the cars and so forth. So. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to go with that. It's an acceleration of a a pattern that's always existed. And, you know, probably largely what you would find uh, going back is that the, what, what's happening in, you know, these, these little pool subcultures before now was happening before in secret societies. Mm. Um, I I posted in the the zoom chat, uh, my tweet from 2018 on this topic, which was uh, subcultures are for growing monsters in ideally monsters so strong they can punch holes in the superculture. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's wow. true. Well, that's real uh, Samasta right there, you know. It's uh, it's pretty interesting that you're uh, pointing this out as I was going to uh, read this from uh, Lovers of Sophia by Jason Reza Giorgiani. I don't know, Simon, are you familiar with Giorgiani's work? No, no, I'm afraid not. He's a very interesting guy. Like, it's hard for me to say where exactly I would categorize him in. I mean, I know he has kind of a... Um, seedy reputation as far as certain people like uh, Richard Spencer that he was associated with back in the past. But as far as certain things that he ended up, uh, you know, writing down, you could say it's like super high level shizzo posting in a way, like when he talks about ancient civilizations and space aliens and all this kind of stuff. But it goes goes together in a very interesting way. So over here, he um, wrote about, uh, so what Nietzsche Qua apocalypt prophet is seeing through a glass darkly here, and what was adopted as a plan of action by Skorzeny and his comrades is something that I would conceptualize as a baudende Aufbruch ins Weltanschauungskrieg. Thank you. Heidegger was right that some things can only be thought in German. A bow is the term deconstruction from Heidegger's thought, so that a bauende literally means unbuilding or dismantling, but through its connection with the destruction of the history of ontology, that was the projected aim of being in time, and in light of the socio-politically dangerous implications of such dynamiting of the paradigmatic principles of a world epoch, I suggest that rendering a bauende as destructive, which carries within it the sense of deconstructing uh, sorry destructuring the idea of abbruch has a rich philosophical and literary history in modernist german thought it is alternatively translated as breakup in the sense of a breaking with or divorce or breakthrough in the sense of a revolutionary discovery rather than an incremental increase in knowledge and finally as a breakaway in the sense that such discoveries can represent a rupture wherein something or someone heads out of bounds in a different direction in other words a breakout or departure thus my concept for what Skorzeny, Kamler, 
Gechlin, Bormann, and company did, indeed, even if it remained imprecisely conceptualized, could be loosely translated as destructive departure in worldview warfare, although based on the alternative meaning of the terms, it is also possible to translate it as deconstructive breakthrough in psychological warfare or dismantling breakaway in the worldwide ideological war. This is the worldwide constitutive or emergent state of a breakaway civilization. It is based both on a breakthrough in the positive sense and on a negative breaking down and breaking away. This allows those who have broken through to come back and conquer what they have broken down in a way that is, uh, here comes this word, Kriegsentscheidend for the Weltanschauungskrieg. Recall that this term, uh, yeah, worldview yes. warfare. Uh, so this term Kriegsentscheidend or war decisive was a classification at the top highest level above top secret, uniquely given to Project Kronos. Okay, and I'm not going to get into Project Kronos <laughs> right now with the bell and all that for those who yeah, know. I'm, I'm pretty sure Land wrote about the same thing there, but uh, characterizing it as outbreak in the sense of a rash. <laughs> Interesting, but like, yeah, what exactly? What exactly can we make of this? Because long story short, Georgiani believes that the Nazis are still around, that they're living in Antarctica somewhere, like in the bases, or maybe like in the inner Earth, and that they've uh, taken control of a lot of our institutions, planning a breakaway civilization right now, and how like all of us are kind of left behind on the prison planet. So in a way, they want to destroy civilization so that we don't get to the point where we're able to harness energy because we're bunch of stupid well, motherfuckers that wouldn't know what to do well, with I that power point out, i should point out that uh Giorgiani is a promethean cosmopolitan who uh <laughs> broke away from the alternative right uh when he saw that they had very like regressive thinking and so he essentially wants to embrace like a positive vision of like post-human transcendence that is like not of the like either of like the rakers while variety or like the landian horrorist type of stuff <laughs> so i don't know make of that what you will but i guess we are kind of like in an information war like for example i was reading this shout out to my boy lomez he wrote this brilliant article today uh for i am 1776 it's called intergener it's called generational war yeah and it's all about this sort of war over the distribution of information uh and i, I wonder if this sort of this arising of a lot of these like alternative underground spaces on the internet i wonder if that's probably and who knows if i'm just making too much of it right but if that's like a result of sort of a fundamental breakdown what people have called the semiotic collapse you know justin murphy always talks about the semiotic collapse now great what's it is the first word so there that you the said semantic semi apocalypse according to baker sorry semantic politics yeah yes yeah, yeah semantic apocalypse yes um so I wonder if we should just ride the tiger on this or should if there is like something seriously wrong going on, like with well, this whole Well, the last thing that Giorgiani said was basically There's such like, a thing if, is wrong. If, well, again, according to according to Jushani, once again, like he thinks that if human beings don't figure out a way to get our shit together, then we kind of deserve whatever it is that's going to happen to us as far as, you know, his theory of the breakaway civilization reducing right, so civilization. Fine. Well, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, will we be able to get our shit together in time? I mean, maybe small circles of us. Isn't it will. exciting I mean, to find out? 
it, it would be. I mean, this is kind of what I'm doing here with BTR, where I want to get circles of people together to rise those circles up at least. I don't know about the rest of humanity, but I'm just talking about if people in small circles can get their shit together, then that's already, I think, good, even from the perspective of reincarnation, right? If yeah, reincarnation exists... That then uh, people who are able to get certain knowledge and uh, exchange ideas with each other now, they will be able to, in a certain way, pass it on to whatever form they're going to acquire in their next life, assuming reincarnation exists. So it's not a total loss if, if we look at it that way. I don't know. I also want to hear from uh, Ostaf. Ostaf, you've been awfully quiet, and I want to make sure that uh, you can get a word in uh, edgewise here as well. How are you, buddy? Yeah, sorry. I just didn't want to uh, bring down the level of conversation going on right now. I mean, oh, not at, not <laughs> at all. No, that's my job. <laughs> okay, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, well, maybe you could say that uh, if we assign a certain probability to reincarnation being true, then there's a certain utility and in information being passed on through that way, and so there might be some marginal gain that way, right? If you want to go back into rationalism again. <laughs> um, I certainly... They'll have a formula for calculating with each uh, reincarnation cycle. Like they'll have a probability of how closer you are to Muksha. That would be like one of the... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It'll be something like a Drake's equation where it's just seven unknowns all multiplied together. Um, so I feel emotions and I have dreams and I'm not a rational being and I don't try to analyze myself through that lens. Like I'm not... I'm not a big fan of like the Evo psych kind of, you know, finding biological impulses behind every higher brain pattern that goes on. I feel like there's a lot of things mm -hmm. that get missed by that kind of a framing. And this is all a bunch of, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is obviously like something that's going to vary a lot from person to person. It's really hard to, I think, build like a convincing objective case about this kind of thing. But that's kind of the thing that's mostly kept me away from like, pure rationalist um, trying to treat every kind of social problem or you know any kind of situation involving human beings as something when as something that you can uh, analyze and optimize and you know turn into a sequence of quantified variables functions and things like that i'm just i'm, I'm, I'm just the high modernist worldview of, of rationalism doesn't work for you okay wait wait what <laughs> sorry wait, the, okay, the so high fine, go on, yeah the high modernist utopian worldview of rationalism uh, doesn't work for you here. Yeah, actually, um, if we want to like drag in the other post word here, right, I think you can probably make a connection between post rationalism and post modernism in that they're kind of a similar disillusionment with the, um, yeah, like the rationalist modernist um, kind of intellectual utopia project that came before them. Yep. I mean, post rats love seeing like a state. Uh, th this is one of the you know the known things about them. I also <laughs> love seeing like a state. I think that's that the book has it's a great united, fucking book. Well, it's wait, what's the so book many called? people from Hay Hayakians to Foucault. Wait, wait, what's the book called? Seeing by a state. See, see, seeing uh, like a state. Seeing like a state by seeing like James, a state. James C. Scott. Are you a fan yeah. of that book, Simon? And I know you were going to say something earlier as well. Yeah, no, no, I am. I. Um, Scott came when I was faculty at Indiana. Scott came and gave um, uh, the series of like whatever was fancy, fancy lectures. It was wonderful. Um, one of my colleagues said it, re it reminded her of the of uh, Rousseau's second discourse. Right? It was you know let's let's go um, 
let's go way back to something wonderful that existed before we started, you know, planning our, our states. And so that, that would be the, the kind of reductio for Scott. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I'm just struck by this response. And I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch our interlocutor's name. Who, who's, who's our new guy on the, on the feature? So sorry. This is, uh, so this is Ostav. Ostav. Uh, Ostav gonna, yes. And I'm going to say it in Russian, Nadezhdy, which means ah. hope. All right. Or rather, hopes, the plural hopes for some reason. I'm not sure why, but uh, there we go. Also, so it's, I mean, I, what, I, what I think about, what, what you led me to think about in this case was, you know, every religion, at least in the whatever post-axial age, has a uh, prohibition against idol worship, right? This, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the creation of one's best image of God and the replacement of God by that by that image, and that that is you know maybe the thing that brings together a whole bunch of these uh, you know let's call them attractors right these sort of places where one never escaped. Um, I think zero's gone right. I'll just I'll just yeah. show you here's here here is our map. This is our map of the ideological network of the red pill. At least is how we're how we're how we're working wow. on it. Uh, it's a so you know machine learning is coming, but um, one of the things we notice right is you know a classic example. This is the incels. Right. The incels mm -hmm. are rationalists, except instead of Bayesian reasoning, it's like this kind of bullshit pseudo evo psychology. And so, you know, they, they find themselves, you know, or they, they convince themselves that they're structurally incapable of reproduction or survival or love or whatever it is. And so at that point, what do you do? Right. Uh, jump off a bridge. Uh, you, you you shoot up a shopping mall. I, there's obviously there's you know a spectrum there. Right. You, you really, also just really disappear. Goes right? A little bit back on that. As yeah, go, go Geo, please. Yeah. As an incel myself. <laughs> <laughs> the the playtime uh, is bold cell, Geo, but yes. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I'm only kidding, but maybe unless. No. <laughs> I think th this comes up a lot. Of the, even today, actually, I was tweeting with a lo-fi Republican. And if you um, shout out to my boy, lo-fi Republican, if you go on any of his incel tweets, it's like this sea of uh dsa people that are like quote tweeting it and saying mm -hmm. that you know i can't believe this i think i have i have what i would push back on is the again the the real desire is not the true desire i think that the problem with the incel thing is that it's too it got too involved with like the pua manosphere stuff which is largely this what some would call a bastardization of evo psych right so it's a lot of like why is um you know, SMV, uh, wire, you know, the 80, 20 rule, which I mean is by and large kind of, it, it's kind of true. Right. If you look at the statistics, I don't, I think, I think Tinder. They uh, get uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah. can, we could, we can, we can battle that one out to you, but no, sorry, no, go, no, on, no. go on, go on, go on. Yeah. What I would say is that the, the mischaracterization of the incel is about a brute um, commodification of desire itself. That, that is what I said today, actually with Lilify Republican. I said, the problem is that, the framing of it as like, okay, the incel cannot reproduce and it's purely about sexuality and so forth. The problem is that they're trying to express a longing of being left out in more intangible reality of love and affection and care, you know, even like in the Heideggerian sense of care of being socially mm -hmm. involved. So the problem is that, you know, this sort of, um, what would you say, you know, let's, let's go down like all of like, what us on the right wing we call you know atomization modernity so forth whatever buzzword modernity. you want to say yeah so uh. 
the problem is like the, the capacity for like rootless atomized modernity to commodify those intangible feelings outside of some like dystopian horrific of like you know equilibrium drugs and and uh you know you're going to like basically gp3 and and gans yourself and crisper yourself the perfect uh trad waifu or something like that i mean apart from some kind of like sci-fi dystopian scenario there is in some sense no accurate measure of what the incel is lacking or rather the capacity for yeah, society yeah. to yeah so i no, think but let me let me let me jump in here Jay. i think this is okay go I, ahead yeah yeah, yeah. don't yeah, yeah. do not show lucas's room <laughs> don't Oh, no. Wow, that is that is the Hegelian Lucas's room. Um, it's the Lucas's room that that oh indeed God. reflects upon itself. It's fractaling um, too. It is it is the room. Lucas's room of Luke, uh, this is like a zero HP. So uh, so oh. you know, I I think it's really useful to separate two things, right? One That's is the true. psychoanalysis of somebody who mm. ends up in these groups, and the other yeah. is the genealogy of the group, right? Because, yeah. Yes. And I think this is very true. And so I I you know I want to I want to really separate these out because. You know, there's many reasons that people will join an ideology or sign on to an ideology in this era of, let's say, quasi-voluntary ideologies. And so one can we can talk about the sociological emergence of this thing one could subscribe to. But then also, and I think you're talking about this deeper point, which is the psychoanalytic problem. Um, you know, my point of view, and I'll just lay this across the table here, right, is that, you know, these are incredibly damaging movements for people to get sucked into. Oh, no they doubt. have, no doubt. yeah, no doubt. And I, you don't, I'm sure it's fine, right? When no one's getting cancer, right? So um, these are incredibly damaging movements. They, they ruin people's lives. They strike between 17 and 21, as far as we can tell. Um, and, but, you know, we can tell a very elaborate story. We have, you know, timestamp to the second, the last, what is it, you know, eight, nine, 10 years. And then we went back all the way to Usenet in the 90s where this began. So, you know, sociologically, enormous information here. But everybody wants to know, like, how do you get someone out? And not because we need to make them good servants of the capitalist state, but just because this is clearly fucking with someone's self-flourishing. But that's but this thing, is such a harder though, question. It's a deeper, yeah. harder question, right? But, but that's the thing, though. And I've often I've tweeted about this. I've wrote I've wrote two part articles about this. You can find it on my blog, right? Sure, um, sure. Mm -hmm. I about how the incel is the production of power knowledge itself. The, the incel is almost like um, becoming in a sense, the docile body, the one that has to be surveilled yep. and regulated. Right. So, yeah. but when you say that, when you go to people that are ostensibly like, you know, I mean the new left, what is the new left anymore? But let's say like academic, like Varso type of like, the new uh -huh. left, right? If you go and you say to them, well, the incel, exactly the sort of policing of sexuality that Foucault was talking about. It's, oh no, oh my God, that's terrible. Why would you say that? That's like a total um, schizo, like that's a dangerous, evil right-wing assertion, right? To say to like hijack Foucaultian, like the power knowledge period and say, well, the incel is exactly the production of this sort of like discourse around the regulation and the norm the normativization of sexual sorry i'm mm -hmm. i'm just getting i mean it's not my this is about you guys so i'm i, I talk too much i talk too geo, much. Can, no no no, no, no can no. you tell us can you tell us geo is the incel the last man is that is that the case the, yes the incel well the I gooner is the last that, man the, no the gooner is the last man the gooner is the <laughs> okay, last man right, right. but i would say the incel is a byproduct of the last wait wait simon uh shaking head do you know what a gooner is uh <laughs> no is it a, is it related to a goomba <laughs> you know it's kind of like that question what is who is chris chan it's like 
what is a gooner? I'm I'm break the rules. It's like the question. <laughs> Lev, please educate professor, yes. the good professor. So we're, we're actually the developing a bingo game. <laughs> we're developing a bingo game, and I think gooner will probably be the free pass. I mean, what the, is uh, a gooner? Free space. Yes. yes. Is the free okay. Space. So gooners are people who have multiple monitors, either in the virtual reality space or in real life space, uh, splayed out with porn on all the monitors. They're watching the porn. They are pleasuring themselves to the porn with the goal of not coming or prolonging the experience of orgasm in order to stay within. Yeah, in order to stay within this gooned out state. Uh, where they become one with uh, their uh, penis, so to speak, and completely forget about any any other thing that's going on in the world. And they say and- that it brings them a heightened state of awareness after a few hours, where literally the slightest touch will bring them to a monumental orgasm. <laughs> Guys, I, I, I didn't used to believe in certain ones. <laughs> yeah, now what I is do. it? <laughs> Dude. But they I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm 100% games. in. I'm 100% in. Um, and, this is this is my Ovid's metamorphoses. And, and there's a whole uh, community. There's a whole community around them too on Reddit and so forth and Discord. They have Discord calls, oh God. Oh God. 50 I people just... deep, where they're all gooning together. So you hear this like blur of this brave new world that has such people in it. <laughs> I, 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 this, wow. All right. I Some gotta, of them I have mean, VR rigs yeah. where they have like a, yeah. um, like, like that the end scene of, of the Truman Show where it's all those yeah. monitors. It's like, well, well Simon, if you can hook us up with one of those, yeah. uh, not cattle prods, but like one of those things with the, uh, with the hook on the side so we can capture one of the gooners and bring them to Carnegie <laughs> Mellon University. <laughs> the dog catcher. For, for study. <laughs> we're, we're doing yeah. this, we're doing this for science. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, uh, uh, do we, do we want to maybe like throw a bone to any of the people asking questions in the chat? Maybe absolutely, yes, yes, of course. I, yeah, I mean, I have fun. not I have not seen yeah. any super chats as of yet. So, guys, step it on the super chats. But despite that, we are going to answer the questions that are already there. But anyway, let's go through some of the questions. So, which ones do you see, Geo? I know that there was an earlier one from Zero HP about yes. about a uh, Bronze Age. Uh, Zero HP is not here right now, but I want to make sure that that is answered. Uh, he, uh, he's um, this this was about. Um, um, <clears throat> Chaos Prime's thread. Um, yeah, that's where I live tweeted my read through of Bronze Age Mindset. <laughs> oh yeah, that's. Right. I remember that thread. Yeah, that was good. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, it, was, it was quite get a, into that a little bit. Yeah, let, oh, let's well, would, go with the next question. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to see. Uh, he asked. Um, okay. Everybody maybe subscribe while Geo's. <laughs> Until you've read Moldbug Prove Obama Birtherism using Bayesian rules, you have not grappled with the true Bay Area national rationalism. Um, I, I don't see I don't see it, Lev, but I think uh, ZHP was just asking um, for a summation of uh, Wait, he says bad things happen with falsifiable information starts getting used to this. Oh, here, I found it. I found it. A uh, oh, question good, for good. Chaos. I enjoyed your thread on Bronze Age mindset. How does that figure into the cognitive arms race? Yeah, and if you could if you could hmm. link it, um, Chaos, if you could link it into the chat, then, then Lev will link it into the comments, yes. into the BTR chat. So. Oh, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Give me a second and I'll uh, pull that up. <laughs> Buff stolen Valor femoids. Are fem cells real? No, stolen Valor. <laughs> and guys, if you had any I, questions... I've been, told, I've been told on good authority that fem cells are in fact real, but that's just more life decisions that... Never... <laughs> oh, yeah. Even... <laughs> yeah. Fem cells have a, a community that is just as you know strong a cognitive attractor and just as, as toxic as, as incels. That's right. That's right. But yeah. what do you... They, they call us moids. Yes, uh, as, as retaliation for femoids. <laughs> but what do you think? But I, I guess this is for all of us here. What do you think of um, the original impetus of a lot of these internet communities being largely driven by anonymity? And now that that sort of uh, wants to, well, rather the people, you know, the powers that be, they want to sort of like disappear this with TikTok. Uh, I read this article from the from the Walrus. You know, I've mentioned this before, where they they talk about how zoomers are using tiktok and we're going to get rid of like the evil terrible dark um you know the dark reality of anonymity on the internet because people are just going to uh see each other's faces all the time and their real names but i i wonder though is the mutually enforced sort of consensus thinking around these communities is that more enforced by anonymity or is it easier for sort of like for example, in 4chan, you go to any like thread where it's like the typical like I don't know, Paul or R9K way of thinking. Like, oh, these evil, you know, evil women, evil, uh, you know, which ethnic group? I don't have to say it. But well, speaking but of speaking of will... evil women, we have Alex Plotnik in the chat over here. Shout out to Alex. Oh, nice, nice. Shout out, friend of the show. She's not um, an evil woman. She she's great. Yeah, God, <laughs> God love her. Um, yes, but. She is, she is actually a very phenomenal artist as well. Um, yes. So, but I wonder, there are people that disrupt these threads that say that you people are a bunch of like angry, bitter incels that live in your basement and so forth. So I wonder if the sort of the disruption of a lot of these communities is almost more interesting, like the, the, the discursive disruption of these communities and the narratives that they set for themselves. I wonder if that's even like a thing if that's it's if that's strengthened by anonymity or if we're going to have to like go back to i don't know where like some dystopian nightmare where like we're all docs and everyone knows you know the in, even to access the internet you have to like have your ip address attached to your real name and face and so forth so i i wonder if like uh yeah sorry i'm just riffing well, i mean I, th I think in the, in the anonymous communities we saw that you know where disruption is a routine occurrence then it learned you know the community learns to cope with it um, you know, it, it doesn't say like, oh, you know, we need to, you know, have everybody be uh, a name friend so that, you know, we can you know, get rid of those bad disruptors and learns to work around disruption, uh, which, you know, is probably a useful skill. Hmm. Well, there's, there's, a, there's, true, a, there's a flip side here. I was going to say, mm -hmm. jump in, right? It's, it's uh, so we have running a God, for, you know, help us, right? We, we, we're running something on 4chan as well. Um, you compare 4chan to Reddit. Um, you know, the ideological network on 4chan is just sort of non-existent, right? Um, as far as we can tell, there, there's not a lot of, uh, let's say, assembly, creative assembly, whatever, creative destruction. It's, uh, you know, we were sort of talking about it's like a like kind of yeah, bacterial culture. Um, well, for, I, who knows? Who knows who these yeah. people are, right? It, it could be, you know, one one giant, you know, one guy, right? Well, when you're uh, looking at 4chan, by the but, way, are you um, looking at all of 4chan or just poll? Yeah. <laughs> we are we are looking at Paul. Oh, listen, Paul uh, is all Paul. 4chan now. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it, here we are, right? Here we are. 
it's um, but if you look at you know you look at the Reddit sites, I mean, this is a crucial thing. It's the difference between anonymity and pseudonymity, right? Which you guys all know. Right. Um, it, this this came up earlier, right? The the role of hierarchy of status seeking. Um, you can't seek status if if there's no tie to an identity or persistent identity. So there's there's something there's some limitation that we have on pure anonymity. You know, then you have the pseudonymity thing, right? But you have these you know multiple identities, throwaway accounts. There's this extreme you have of you know real person, whatever, like social security number, agent, you know, sort of subject of the state. And you wonder what's the spectrum, right? We may at some point have a kind of Bitcoin or Urbit-like identity, which is pseudonymous but persistent, hard to reject. Um, that's a, it's a good question. What 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 happens to the development of you know, let's call them these cognitive traps to go back or cognitive arms or landmines to go back to chaos is uh, the opening. Rachel Hayware always makes fun of me for using the phrase cognitive uh, uh, attractors or kind of cognitive attractor basins. But that's, you know, I, I see a lot of things uh, that way as like, you know, the incel community is a, a, a huge cognitive attractor base and has a, a, a tremendous gravity well. People get mm -hmm. sucked into it and, you know, it, it like something that might have been, you know, essentially a phase uh, becomes part of identity, uh, becomes a crab bucket exercise. Uh, mm -hmm. That's exit. a good one, yeah. So. But I, I wonder, though, again, we have to always examine the normative assumptions of like why, for example, I mean, the biggest one, the one that really sticks into my craw um, is the, the, the discourse around the radicalization narrative and how it only goes one way when really, really, if you look at the radicalization model, it really is, it, it has the potential to be an objective model, regardless of political ideology, but it, the fact that it's deployed against like this ghost of the alternative right that is you know it's really for ideological purposes within itself but when you look at it objectively it is true there is sort of a number of cognitive booby traps that happen where people get into this way of thinking and it's very rigorously self-regulating too because mm -hmm. you know for example in 4chan and you know this professor from your research i mean if you stray from the narrative a bit then it's like you're a fed you're a jew you're <laughs> you're um it, mm -hmm. it, it's a self-reinforcing sort of uh yeah. narrative of i i don't want to say narrative of paranoia because i i think that's a way to discredit um conspiracy theory as such as a valid alternative on it's not really paranoia is it it's it's yeah. regulation it's it's yeah. you know again yeah. like you know it's defining the boundaries of what's an acceptable identity in the space yes uh, yeah I mean, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of, I'm just thinking about like, this is years ago, right? Walking through Washington Square Park, right? Mm. And you know, people are constantly offering you drugs. This is like ages ago, right? Before Bitcoin. Um, one of the things you see on 4chan, right? Is that there are so many people trying to sell this stuff. So we almost see it's, it's, a, it's a surplus of sellers, meaning people trying to sell whatever bizarro uh, theory they have. And the Jews always get it, right? So whatever bizarre anti-Semitic theory, you know, anti anti whatever uh theory that yeah, this these far outnumber the buyers right so there's there's far more uh, it's it's almost like this is a group entirely consisting of um you know like who are they even speaking to i suppose is the right question it reminds me a little bit of uh you know contemporary poetry 
there are more people writing poetry literally than reading it. Yes. There may be more people writing, you know, screen people packs. in MFA programs than there are people buying the. Uh, yeah, this is like, I mean, like the worst thing you could say about Fortune, it's like, it's kind of like an MFA program, right? Maybe that's the way this is, <laughs> finally dies, right? Uh, that it's, oh, you know, yeah. wow, I mean, this is. Yeah, yeah. Fortune is over now. That's it. Oh, man. So, I mean, that's so, one thing we miss, right? Is we, we, we think of it as this one guy dealing or, you know, a couple of people dealing it. We actually, there's a competition to be dealers because, of course, yeah. with, with dealership comes power. And we, we have it in this well, yeah, you know, I think, um, scenario in like, we have all these people bouncing around, essentially looking for meaning, looking for purpose. Um, and, you know, trying out one thing, it doesn't work, trying out the next thing. Like one of the, the strongest moves you can make in that milieu is to make, you know, whatever your thing is difficult to escape. You, you mm -hmm. make it so that like in order to enter, you have a barrier to exit. Um, and right. you know, I think Fierce we're going to see action. more and more of that coming along because it's you know, evolutionarily advantage in the situation. Well, is, that's one of the memes on 4chan as well, where uh, Mr. Burns points the sign that says, don't forget, you're here you're forever. Here forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, Hopeful Abandon, you, you had something to say. Yeah, I think... Um... Well, in a lot of like real name communities, right, you get ideas that are generated by uh, intellectual authorities. And so like you might have academia informs a lot of ideas on how society works and that kind of percolates down. And in an anonymous forum, you don't really have the weight of your reputation to back that up, but you do still have these memes trying to spread through people's brains and you know become dominant in that space. And so I think a lot of people discovered that really the only thing you need is to have a good understanding of what's, uh, you know, viral memetically. Right. Uh, and so you get anyone feels like they can push the next meme and they can make it take off. And this you is get where things like, comes from, yeah. which is which is why for yeah, they are right. So effective for, you know, foment fermenting memes for brewing things up that are going to you know go out into the world and wreak havoc. But if those yeah, memes sometimes were completely it's as empty. As... Well, if they well, were completely empty, then p people wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't register. So there is still a dissatisfaction that people feel that makes them spread. I mean, you know, the idea of a forced meme, it, a forced meme is not going to well, last. Corporations are trying to create forced yeah. memes now. But well, sorry, no go on. difference go on. between a, yeah, there's no ben, real ben difference, I think, between a forced meme and an unforced one. I mean, a classic meme is, you know, something like uh, Sakura eating a fish every day. And it's literally just a guy who posted the same picture every single day. And now that's like an iconic image that's burned into everyone's brains. It doesn't matter if it was forced or not. You know, it still ended up becoming uh, colonizing people's minds in that same way. And a so forced, there's all kinds meme, of... A forced meme is a marketing campaign. A meme yeah. that, you know, it goes has beyond the force level it. is a marketing campaign that people talk about around the water cooler. I think uh, forced and unforced is like ascribing intention to the uh, progenitor of the meme, but I don't think that it makes much of a difference ultimately once the mm. meme ex uh, escapes mm. beyond that context. Interesting. And there's all kinds of people running ops on 4chan now. I mean, yeah. uh, Simon DeDio, you're basically running an op for all that's worth when you're doing you're studies. Still, I don't want to call you a... We, 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 do, we do no intervention. Uh, no, no, no. We would need many ethics approvals to, to intervene in any of yes, these Yes, it's coming, coming of age and fortune. Oh, God. Well, coming I mean, observation is uh, intervention, you know? You're changing the result by measuring it. But yeah. there's definitely you're uh, just you're yeah. just you're just helping the bureaucracy of ethical <laughs> approval here by making these there's already uh, all kinds yeah. of federal, but the, the, but the narrative you know, officers like, 
you have to surveil, like you have to ethically surveil the incels, the wild pygmy <laughs> incels on the internet. It's it's. <laughs> It's a sort of a serious question, but you thought of this a lot. Like, what does it mean to treat people with respect mm-hmm. uh, regardless? That's sort of the fun, fun thing, right? You know, you, you're going to study Nazis. You know, the university ethics says you've got to treat them with equal respect. There's nothing you can do here. Right. And we think about this a lot. Like, what does it mean um, to reflect back a community onto itself? Mm. Uh, there's huge vested interests on every side, right? Um, there, uh, you know, there's a lot of correct conclusions one can come to. So we're under, you know, pressure. And from even that. the framing and... itself, like, like being a documentarian, like the way, like mm-hmm. Louis Thoreau, for instance, like he he edges towards like a critique, but at the end of the day, it's still like look at the freaks, like it's like a more sophisticated. We don't want to do that. You don't want to yeah, do that exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, like that's... our 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 goal is universal or universalizable. Let's say knowledge, general principles, mm-hmm. and ideally, you know, at at some point we have a synoptic study yes. of this. Yeah. And a deep um, and... It just so happens, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 partly because many of the left wing groups have much sort of tighter connections to the wider yes. world, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you're if you're a lefty edge lord, you have, you know, you, you, you get can sponsored end by up Google, in, you know, Descent magazine. Well, well yeah. I don't want to go that far. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's Google. well, there was you a, have the a, young Turks, you have a podcast example. that makes 80 grand a month and your father yeah. used to be the editor of The Wall Street Journal. So I no, wonder no. who I'm subtweeting the yeah. no, Chapo I mean, Trap House. No. I mean, look, like uh, the young the young yeah. Turks, you know, in that. Uh, yeah. Or, in that, or the young episode, Turks. That would be another. In that episode where Alex Jones invaded their studio and got into Seng Huger's face. But the young Turks, they had a podcast that was you know there was the google sign right above in that studio and again this is like an organization of people associated with the uh, turkish government and hassan piker you know even more left-leaning uh you know being the nephew <laughs> but, no of but Seng. Lev, I, we are being uncharitable because the young turks did generally like they were a diy like alternative news source for the time being at the like at least the 2010s but but yeah sorry we cut you off uh professor uh, well I, yeah no it's 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 a uh... You know, the gosh, I mean, there's so many pieces here, right? One is, yeah, we think about this a lot. In fact, the first place I studied was Wikipedia. And, uh, you know, people are very badly behaved on Wikipedia and very well behaved. And so we had to figure out, okay, how do you talk about bad behavior without essentially doxing somebody uh, or, you know, at least drawing attention to, to somebody? And so that, these, are, these are really interesting questions, right? You want to go, we see ourselves in some ways like anthropologists. Um, you go, you try to understand, but then the one thing you don't want to do is go native. So um, there's a lot of temptation to sympathize with people because you just see, you know, you feel, like I hate to say, you, you feel sorry for them. They're often much younger. You, you, you see that. And that's, again, it's, an, it's another one of these, one of these dangers, right? So um, I don't know how to, how to put those pieces together. It's just, I mean, you, you, you bring up this hot button issue of the, the ethics of it, the ethics of studying people. What does it mean to study people who've lost their minds? Maybe that's the right way to say it. Uh, historically, like Foucault had got lucky, right? He could study people who lost their minds 100 years ago. But um, yeah. if we want to ask questions today about people at least temporarily losing their minds, that's a, uh, this is a normative question. Too. Well, there are all kinds of gradients here in terms of a mind either being lost or a mind being on the verge of being lost when people are surrounded by things like on 4chan, you know, people always use the term clown world. I think that's become popular at around, like, when was it, Geo? Like, 2019? Is that around um, the I believe, the of- well, it, it came, okay, clown world came originally from probably my, 
I'm not going to say salad forums. I'm probably going to say my posting career. That's original. Like MPC forums was the original place of clown ward. Then it was taken up by, um, I remember this because I was a part of Thermidor magazine at the time where it became popular along with the term bug man, which was also created by both Sallow and MPC forums. Uh, so at the time clown, cl the clown world thing was, I would say around 20, 2017, 18, 19, uh, was when it, sort of crept up from like forum culture like really like far-right forum culture into uh i want to say in part when we were doing a thermometer magazine we talked about this uh social matter had article articles about it um and then later now like mainstream people say like put the clown like the the beeble art piece that sold for nine million dollars uh has the clown emoji in it against donald trump and donald trump ostensibly was like a harbinger of the, the clown world meme itself as like a postmodern political artist, like the <laughs> aestheticization of mm. politics. But it's it's really crazy how, again, that was like a forum culture meme that percolated up mm. to like, now like yeah, everyone but, knows. Yeah, yeah go, let, ahead, go let, ahead. Let me ask you, I mean, I'm gonna say this, I don't mean this in a bad way, who cares, right? So why yeah, do we actually well, care about that? Um, I, I, it's our history. It's our unique knowledge history. Other than, ah. well, other than the art history aspect of it, I can offer another reason as to why uh, people should uh, well, it care. Is like, because, it's like what people say, like, oh, this is a white supremacist, like Pepe the Frog is a white supremacist yeah. meme. So no, but, but, but it's, it. not, it's not even just like, that. Like it's I saw this moderator, yeah. like he's a top moderator for Twitch saying that like maybe people shouldn't use a Pepe emoji on Twitch, right? So go, Well, here, go I mean, it's kind of like what Pylos uh, wrote right now in the chat. You're being mm -hmm. gaslit by priests in white robes to be happy with your condition. I mean, this kind of mm -hmm. comes to why I say, like, you know, some people have uh, been frank hassled out of their minds, and some are <laughs> gradually in, in the way, too, because I really do think, like, the more of these conversations that we have here on BTR the more I think it is important to get to the core of not so much clown world as in how it's represented in the art form like Gio was talking about, but more so what are the primary root causes, like the reasons why people even talk about a clown world to begin with? Because yeah. the big, the big uh, separation I see in what BTR is also trying to uh, undivide in its own way by bringing a lot of people mm -hmm. from the mainstream together with people from more of the underground internet cultures is that people are concerned about things happening, you know, within, or at least uh, as they appear to be happening to them within the communities in terms of like, you know, issues like migration, issues like, you know, the nature of uh, government control, all these, uh, you know, academia, all these various things people get really concerned about, and they bring up various uh articles that talk about you know things that you know what gender reassignment of young kids you know th things of that nature and they keep bringing that up and talk about now we're in this clown world and well, it's nobody like a black cares. pill yeah it's it's like a way of almost like a weird there are people who do it better than others it's like a weird performance art of black pilling that i i personally think and this is my opinion and i will die by this opinion my thesis is that nobody tm the visual art the video artist basically started a lot of this trend of like you know even like the most mainstream example being like i don't know paul joseph watson videos where it's like this is modernity it's a picture of like 
drag time story hour with like vaporwave music. Uh, that was just a bastardization of nobody Tim. Mm. But anyways, I, yeah, it's a it's but nobody but of... nobody in the mainstream even gives an inch even gives an inch to any of the problems that uh, these people are bringing up. And to me, that's always and been the, pretty but sus. Then the counter, the counter force being is that there are people who become like obsessive yeah. to the level of psychosis around like, you know, well, cause, the, no, cause nobody brings it up right? with them. They're in a circle and they're, uh, circling the wagons because there isn't somebody to go up to them and to talk with them and to actually break down a lot of these things that they're seeing problems with. I mean, this is, again, something that I think Break the Rules is doing in its own way, but that's another thing that I'm interested in. Like, uh, Simon, would you be interested in examining not just 4chan, but also examining the uh, PMCs, the professional managerial class people, <laughs> the people who work at NPR, you know, because that is another very interesting thing to look at where they are so separated, like they're just like the polar opposite of whatever conversations mm -hmm. are going on in this culture that talks about clown world. Nobody within that culture would even utter anything mm -hmm. close to the sentiments of uh, people who talk about clown world. And I find that to be very interesting, like... Do people, when they see certain things going on, do they just reject it? Do they choose not to think about it? Do they think, oh, like, uh, uh, it's not a big deal? I mean, I know that people who are older than I am, who were, you know, uh, in the Soviet Union, who have experienced a lot of horrible things, they look at a lot of the things that are happening mm -hmm. right now as more of a swinging of the pendulum to the other side. And then they say, okay, it's swinging this way. Things are very woke right now. And later on, it's going to go back. Uh, to uh, like a different direction and then just going to keep going on like that. So mm -hmm. maybe I think their perspective is right here, but not even that is talked about so much within this professional managerial class. Like it's almost like it's not there. They choose to completely ignore any of it. And I guess my problem is that because they ignore and because they always end up putting the worst qualities into like imbuing the worst qualities in a lot of these 4chan people, they are going to start to mimic a lot of those worst qualities. Almost like, oh, you call me a Nazi. Well, I'm going to, uh, you know, now I'm going to become one. You know, it's like one of those uh, <laughs> unfortunate things end up happening over time through this, like, miscommunication or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I just don't know um, how exactly that could be treated. But, uh, well, treated, that's such a, that's such a medicalized uh, term for this thing. But I would love to hear from you, Simon, and Chaos, and uh, Ostaf as well about yeah, this yeah. particular phenomenon. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's, when you, you talk about this uh, sort of ordinary discourse, or uh, we used to call them, I think it was GII, General Interest Intermediaries, like Time Magazine, right, um, that are sort of, you know, they, they're, they're shelling points, right? They're, they, they serve as something that everyone's reading, and we all know that everyone's reading them. Uh, we all know that everyone knows that everyone's reading them. It's, you know, the Seinfeld of, of communication. And that, that was, you know, that things work like that for a very long time. It, it would be very interesting to study, like, let's take the New York Times, for example, um, as it fades away from being this, this shelling point of agreement, we all know that that's the standard belief, how it fades away and can we, can we detect that? It's absolutely legitimate question. It's a very interesting one. Um, you know, why study the subcultures? I mean, two things. One is they're much larger. It's a very different kind of thing. The, you know, NPR's, um, you know, the hiring process at NPR, sure, it's wrapped up in, I don't know, like you know, the Harvard Crimson or something, right? But it's small. It's like 100 people at most, maybe 10 who are deciding what's happening. When you get these bottom-up systems like, you know, subreddits, uh, 
that's a totally different thing. You have 300,000 authors, 3 million posts, you only see one of them. So very different kind of production process. Um, I mean, one thing you ask is, why don't people study the PMC uh, more? I guess you're going to call it PMC. I just, I, you know, not a sociologist. Um, you know, I think there's, uh, gosh, um, maybe we can leave that one aside. Why, why, why it doesn't get studied more? Certainly, once it's over, it gets studied. So, you know, we have plenty of time to study neoliberalism <laughs> now that NPR is to study. Well, you know, has to by study the time it ends, the sun will explode. Right? So, don't worry about. It. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, there's some, there's some great critical work done on this. Uh, you know, looking at um, and I just think of neoliberalism as a lovely book that's just come out of it. Uh, so. You know, it isn't that these don't come under scrutiny, but Lev, maybe I'm maybe I'm not speaking to your to your question as directly as I might. So, am I no, or no? I think I think it is a pretty close to what I have in mind. I'm just curious about when it comes to a lot of uh, not even the people who work at the New York Times or NPR so much as the mm -hmm. listeners. Because, uh, you know, I was at a party a couple of years ago where, you know, people had their NPR tote bags and they were repeating very similar talking points to the ones that I've heard in other places. I mean, that is a very established thing. You know, people listen to the same thing. Mm -hmm. They come to the same conclusion. Well, it's become a status symbol, I think, an intellectual status symbol as well. Mm. Like I read, the you know, reading the New York Times or no, what, what goes beyond that? Maybe like reading, I don't know, have, subscribing to... Uh, I guess the Wall Street Journal in certain places is like this, you know, it's a form of intellectual signaling, I guess. Well, for, for example, like on a, maybe it's on like a having a sub stack around these. Places. Sure. But <laughs> like on a, on, a, on a different note, let's say there's like all these economists and they talk about, you know, all of these various things having to do, you know, Wall Street Journal, yada, yada, yada. And then somebody shouts out, you know, uh, the Federal Reserve is evil down with the Fed. You know, we should have had, a, mm -hmm. you know, we should have had our money in gold. And this is like the ruin of the and everybody looks at them. Mm -hmm. and It's like, you fucking psycho. Get out, get out of here. Get away. You. We don't want yeah, to have yeah. anything to do with you. Even though a lot of these points were things that were talked about you know by legitimate economists you mm -hmm. know like uh if we're talking about you know ludwig von mises back in the day you know that's not some tinfoil hatter over here well actually and... in, ec in economic circles <laughs> that is tinfoil <laughs> well see that's that's yeah. the interesting thing to me to look at like why is it that certain systems like these they exclude any of the criticism that let's say would be leveled out on sites like 4chan when it comes to certain cultural deterioration that they're seeing and uh, or if we're talking about the economic side of it, why is it that these particular branches of economics uh, are the ones that are, you know, the doors close in their face? Like there seems to be a force yeah. kind of uh, preventing the, these kind of conversations from happening, almost like they they spoil the party. I don't know. At least that, that that's the vibe. Isn't, I get. It, isn't it like, you know, so you're trying to play a game of poker and somebody comes in and, and like, you know, puts down their tarot deck and like, like, what, you know, you're just, you're just doing something else, dude. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not what we're doing in this room. Yeah. We think about this. I, I remember this years ago now, um, I don't know, some review of one of Noam Chomsky's books, right? I mean, infinite number of books. Um, and, you know, they were said, well, you know, he, he really criticizes the New York Times, his manufactured consent. But of course, all of his factual accounts also come from the Times, right? Mm -hmm. um, same with the Arvin, right? You know, this sort of hardcore NRX stuff, right? It, you know, on the one hand, this is a gigantic matrix that you're stuck in. He's going to rip you out. On the other hand, all of the facts that underlie this come from this place, right? So there's, you know, there's this kind of double problem here where, I mean, as a physicist, you would say, all they can do is sort of linear perturbations away from consensus reality, 
So you have to accept 99% of what's in the New York Times before you can like red pill people on the last 1%. So there, there's something kind of deeply phony about that, obviously, um, that, <laughs> you know, is, 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 is happening. Chomsky maybe is, you know, he's operating in a different era when the Times was. I was... love how you just body Chomsky. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I, so that's, I mean, we, we see this in conspiracy theories, right? Like the problem with the conspiracy theory is you have to keep widening the conspiracy. And you know, you know, the, you know the real this, snap comes. Go on, go on, Gio. Go on, go on. No, this reminds yeah. me of a, a very excellent point. I not to brag, but he is. I don't know how you feel about him, but he is certainly a very mm-hmm. good person, and a, mm-hmm. I would even say a friend online. Uh, but I was on Jeffrey Miller's podcast, Outsider Theory, and uh, he we were talking about the proto schizo poster Francis E. Deck Esquires. And, and uh, mm-hmm. at the very end, I was, you know, going into, uh, he brought up two skin and I brought, you know, of course, Deleuze and Foucault and so forth. And like, but at the very end, he asked me the question, if you listen to it, uh, he's like, you know, Gio, the thing is with like gang stalking people or other conspiracy communities is that they're using internet technology, but they're using it in their mental framework is of a much older model of, um, basically like you know later half 20th century telecommunications uh you know the cathode ray the 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 cell phone tower so forth but yet at the same time they're expressing their theories about a totalizing conspiracy through the medium of the even vaster telecommunication which is the internet so why Mm -hmm. is it that they preclude the technology of like posting on blogs or on reddit or what yeah r slash gang stalking why is that not like another expression of the conspiracy which i mean if if you actually study it it is because of like algorithm control and monitoring Mm -hmm. and so forth Mm so why is it that the, the sort of the schizo poster conspiracy theorists why did they omit that level of technology it's like you know mold bug saying well you know the cathedral institutions are corrupt and so forth and they are your chomsky condensed building yet it's like you know here is this um book that's registered in the library of congress and i can access it and mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's almost of the same thing it's like you have to sort of omit certain um, certain inconvenient truths about the nature of even getting to a basis of quote unquote alternative fact to begin with. So I don't know. It is mm-hmm. a, a really and weird it's like this. It's like the Zarathustra fantasy, right? Where you can you can start thinking without anybody, right? Mm-hmm. That you can you can form as an account of the world, an image of the world, without relying on anybody. If, you know, the flip side is if your conspiracy theory is so vast, right, as it is, and perhaps the most compelling ones are cognitive reasons for that, right? If your conspiracy is so vast, you literally can't think with anybody else because everybody's in on it, right? So there's no shared reality for your word. It's almost like, you know, Mm -hmm. people in the box. It's private language at that point. So... Yeah, go on. Sorry, Liv. I mean, think of how different it would be. And I understand the reasons why they didn't do it. But just for a second, Mm -hmm. imagine the world where there would have been a news reporter that would have said, you know what? We don't know what exactly like these weird uh, messages that John Podesta sent out were. There's like some weird pizza map thing going on here i wish he could just explain what these things are you know like let but at least let's have a baseline that 
these are unusual sayings, and let's just leave it at that. What I don't like is that when people jump the gun so much as to make conclusions without verifiable evidence, while at the same time, things like, I don't know, like Bohemian Grove, for you, instance. You just, right? you, 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 just, you just want more, more cognitive freedom than is compatible with a stable society. I think that's what that's what the mm. Times would say. I think that's what the journalists would say. Um, you want you want to think in an unfettered way, right? Uh, publicly, and it, that's that just can't work, right? We actually can't have that kind of epistemological stance towards the world because things would actually collapse. I think this is something. My guess is journalists think about this a great deal. Not the ones, not the science journalists. They're barrels. They're great, right? But people who, you know, journalists who consider themselves important members of, you know, the Hobbesian Leviathan, I think there's just there's like, look, there's just got to be limits to cognitive freedom. Um, people are getting, I think, more and more comfortable saying that in part because the the level of freedom of thinking has has, you know, because of online behavior has just gone through the roof. Right. So they're confronted increasingly with, you know, a kind of French Revolution level of democracy, except now it's a different form. Right. It's a free thinking. So when you say, "Hey, why can't I think this?" I, I want you know, let's let's do this. Um, I think that's that's probably the response. There's no good argument not to do that from first principles epistemically. It's only normative. It's political. And just to be clear, I'm not even, even talking said that about Substack recently. There was this article about how it's going to destroy journalism. It's going to promote like bad thinking or whatnot. So, well, I mean, that's I mean, yeah, yeah. Go on, I mean, yeah. just just to be clear here, I'm not talking about thinking about things to such an extent that you know you're leveling out things where you know, like, how do I know this is true? Oh, because this 13th century guy wrote it down in the book. Well, how do you know that what he's saying is true? You know, at a certain point, like things just, uh, you know, they, you know, what I'm talking about, you. Certain things they just kind of like, go, yeah, go into the ether where mm -hmm. we don't know. We don't know whether this 13th century guy actually saw what he saw or whether he just made it up, you know, for scapegoating purposes, you know, things like blood libel, things of that nature. So when we're talking about a lot of these, uh, these things, like, uh, for example, Bohemian Grove, what I wish at least is for <laughs> there to be a certain baseline that professional, rational journalists could just agree on and say, okay, like, what are some of the pieces of evidence that are brought forth for certain things like this? Okay, so there was this guy, Alex Jones, he went to uh, uh, videotape this structure. Now, could we say this structure was somehow uh, a prop that was made in the movie theater? No, because the trees or like the stage would match up to the image that you could find in Google Maps. So this would be like a physical structure that as a professional journalist, I would be able to identify like, yes, this exists here and this exists there. Uh, step two, there was that interview that he did with Ga David Gergen that Jones did with David Gergen, who was this uh, CNN guy, former Clinton advisor, where Gergen himself said on camera that, well, you violated the code of yada, yada, yada by uh, <laughs> uh, talking about this. That was great. Yeah, yeah go, right. great. don't don't talk about skull and bones, right? Let's yes, exactly. But, but here I, we already I, have I, like the, the guy yeah. himself admitting things. So as rational journalists, let's put it out and say as as a baseline. Well, we know yeah, I know. But Lev, people meet. What, what, here's, here's what you remind me of. And I, I say this to somebody who, you know, like got halfway through citizens. We did write a paper on the French Revolution. And um, what you sound like is one of these kind of middle of the road uh, guys in the revolution kind of center left. And you're like, look, why don't we have, look, let's split the difference, right? Why don't we have like a kind of parliamentary, you know, monarchy where, you know, rational journalists, like, look, we don't want to slaughter the king. I mean, that's, come on, right? Like, <laughs> why, why doesn't this work the way high school civics says it's meant to work? 
Um, like you're like that guy, right? So you're not this, you're, you're not this person who says, okay, the people can't handle the truth. Uh, so we're just going to, we're going to kind of think for them. We're going to do 90% of the thinking for them. You're like, well, can't, can't, can't the people who were, who are there right now do it. What you have is, I mean, you, you have this left, right? Let's call it the, the cognitive left, the Robespierre's of the, of the room. And that would be Yarvin, ironically enough, someone like that, just slaughter them all, <laughs> right? So that, I mean, metaphorically, don't even, you know, just, just walk away from it, maybe exit. And that's a key thing that we think is part of this NRX is exit. So yeah. stop yes. trying to fix the system, um, you know, and hopefully this is a maybe a comedic version of it. No one actually, there has, doesn't actually have to be something in real space that happens. It's just that these people exit as opposed to repair. So what you're talking about here a little bit is repair but certainly many of these people online just don't want to go down that well, road. But, but which, me, which side needs like to be repaired, though? Just, well, just well exit's like a spiritual practice to me, but I... Sure. It's, mm -hmm. Well, that's the beauty of it. Lev is like the middle of the road, like, <laughs> eat a row, and I'm like Joseph de Maestra. And, <laughs> but, no. Well, no, no, I, um, I don't necessarily... The reason why I'm saying this, Simon, uh, it's yeah. not... It's not because my intention is to, you know, somehow change the way that the universe functions so that people I know they're not going to talk about that. What I, what I want to do, though, is send this out as a message to certain maybe more rebellious minded journalists to come on BTR who have a good reputation and to actually open mindedly talk about this, not even for the purpose of changing anything within their system, well, we, but we the, the opposite. Week. We yeah. had last week, and she's in the chat right A Andrea, now. Yeah, Andrea Seabrook. Andrea Seabrook. That's like pretty, I mean, yeah. NPR. I recently discovered that she's actually mutuals with Barack Obama. <laughs> so that's pretty That's pretty high up. Absolutely. Like she was on C-SPAN. Oh, my God. But sorry, yeah. we're, we're no, tuning no, no, but, but again, like, right I don't want to. We have to move on. We need to toot but... our horn. Subscribe right now. Subscribe to BTR. But anyway, the point the point that I'm getting to here, guys, is that I don't want to change the way this part of the system works. What I want to do is just to have certain clarities exist. And surprisingly, maybe not for the sake of the journos, but for the sake of the people who actually complain about a lot of this stuff. Because, again, coming from a generation that was under heavy-handed communism with mm. things going on in that environment that I don't think anybody here could even begin to imagine what it's like to live under that kind of regime. I think mm -hmm. it is important to keep in mind that Bohemian Grove, all this stuff, like, maybe it's not as bad. Meaning, like, there are these systems that are out there, let's just be candid and honest about what exactly we know that goes on there, and let's just level it together with the other systems no, that nothing, exist right I, now. Not, try, nothing interesting happens at Bohemian Grove. <laughs> it's a lot of heavy drinking. People put on some shows. Uh, the women aren't allowed. It's, yes. uh, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty dull thing. But I, you know, what, what I'm just struck by, Lev, is, you know, this, when we do science, right, and we do this, you know, obviously science doesn't happen on stage and can't happen on stage in part because you have to be able to think anything, say anything. Um, you have, you know, you have to, so you, we would, you would either sound, you know, literally nuts if you're you know questioning the metaphysics the ontology you may you may sound like a like somebody you know on some extreme of the horseshoe if you're talking about social behavior so we, we have to think completely freely nothing can be off the table we do that privately i would say but when you say okay hey look what if bohemian grove is actually you know sending mind control rays i'm teasing you love but what you know let's 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 bring it on the table um you know there's sort of two questions arise for me one is um you know I think many of the journalists would say this is you just can't do this publicly. 
because it's it's dangerous for this or that reason. It's you know there are vulnerable children in the room. Um, people would also say, look, we have limited time, right? So you know we have to we're going to focus our epistemic labor on whatever it is, digging up the next scandal, running some more FOIAs. Um, so you know there's something here about maybe sorry to well it's more this, about releasing pressure if that makes any no, sense love, love, let him finish okay okay i mean i i i think like as an academic uh extraordinary lucky because i get to spend time privately with really intelligent people and we talk a huge amount nothing's off the table that's that's you know this great privilege um so really the question is how do we reproduce this condition of freedom for the wider Masses, right? Masses oh, are the word. Can't. No one's ordinary. But how do you? No, not me, man. I'm, I'm But how do you? How do you do that? Like, how do you? How do institutions grow for people so that they don't go off the rails? And then you say, right. So, what are the functioning aspects of of like a place like academia or the you know like whatever the Jesuits or whoever's whoever's managed to create those spaces? So that's that I think is maybe like what you're asking um, is not how do we fix the New York Times, but how do we, you know, how do we create spaces that are, you know, enable cognitive flourishing for, you know, people who didn't manage to, you know, make it through the the academic, let's say, as one of the places, academic system. Well, that, I would say, also, let me add one more thing. We have more thing. Yes. Bohemian Grove is like one of the places people do this, right? It really sucks to be a certain kind of person who, and, you know, who gets invited to Bohemian Grove because your life actually is kind of odd and a bit dull. Uh, so you go and actually it's a little bit, it's like, you know, Oxford, but drinking and, you know, no way. Wait, women, wait, you, right? you went to Bohemian Grove? No, 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 no. But um, <laughs> actually, that's... actually, I'm looking at the book right now, Bohemian Grove Cult of Conspiracy by Mike Hansen. And they got pictures where him and Alex Jones went into, um, when it's all the owl, the whole thing. But I think yeah. that's, I mean, it's so, you know, even it's, it's sort of a joke, right? Like, or Davos, right? You know, life is really boring if you're trading all the time. So yeah. a lot of these places are kind of entertainment zones where people come together and have talks. So just as you guys, not you, but people develop conspiracies about Bohemian Grove, people develop conspiracies about subreddits, which yeah. from the inside, it sounds like you guys are participants, from the inside, you're like, really? No, right, that's not true. Um, but you might say maybe conspiracy theories attached to these places of let's call them cognitive freedom, but that cognitive freedom requires privacy. So there's something compelling for those stories. But I keep interrupting them, so so please. You know, but this yeah. is very close to what we're talking about here, uh, as far as how well, do maybe we chaos get rid of prime a lot and of... then hopeful abandoning. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. Well. But, but just re- real quick about information. Um, yes. Re- re- arming quick, though, uh, people with a Bukhara market of arsenals of ideas. So. <laughs> just re- real quick though, I just wanted to quickly say that. Uh, the reason why I even bring this up to begin with is because I think there's a lot of pressure being built up and things like QAnon result from these questions not actually being addressed in, I wouldn't say shout it to the whole world, but at least have certain things that end up building in society to at least acknowledge like, yeah, some rich people meet up and they gather and look at this funny owl and yeah, there's some occult Whatever stuff here. Yeah. yeah, let's learn about on CNN, let's learn about sacred geometry. You know, let's actually have some people experts in symbolism <laughs> on come CNN? In and talk about this stuff yeah no 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 but this is, I'm, this, I'm, is I'm this is joking. part of the appeal of jordan peterson right peterson yeah. was somebody who and i think his most compelling stuff was this sort of early quasi jungian period um where um you know he's he's doing this kind of esoteric talking and somehow made it mainstream and he's like talking to eric trump on youtube so there there, there is a demand for that absolutely, absolutely. Love. yeah 
And I think they see a lot of resentment from the people who are in the inner circle or whatever, where they thumb their nose up at anybody who even talks about this stuff, even though to them it's like, of course you know about what's going on here. As someone, and as, not someone who devoted, just, you know, as someone who devoted a huge part of my life before Jordan Peterson to studying Carl Jung, I think he did a fundamental disservice by turning into a self-help bracket, but that's another. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting story about Peterson remakes himself as a self-help guru and even worse as a kind of power and status guru. So mm. it's, you know, it's gospel of wealth by uh, the lobster. <laughs> um, we, we keep interrupting uh, chaos. So, chaos. Yeah. Chaos yeah. Prime. Probably, Go for it, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I wanted to try and uh, relate this back to uh, Zero's question there. Um, mm -hmm. like we, we were talking a bit about like, you know, the, these, you know, private, uh, epistemic free spaces, you know, temporary autonomous zones and whatnot, where, yes, uh, that are, that are full of, nice. of, nice. uh, uh, you know, people hawking their, their ideological tidbits and so on, like basically like pl playing the role, you know, maybe of, of, you know, cognitive arms dealers. Um, but what they're, what they're vending are, you know, basically, you know, cult recruitment tools. Um, you know, they're, they're not, they're not giving you, you know, I don't know, civilization is discontents. They're giving you Dianetics. Um, and, <laughs> uh, right. Right. Subscribe I think to the other layer. Oh, by the way, subscribe to Patreon, subscribe to the Break the Rules Patreon right now. We'll, yes. we'll go join, yeah. join that cult. Yes. Um, but Chaos, I think this is the thing to say. You're the arms dealer, right? Tell us about, you know, why then, some some thoughts should not be allowed. You know, semiotic thoughts should not be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. But I mean, what, okay. what I was what I was wanting to, to get Sorry, at was thanks. was that, um, uh, you know, there, there's a, a level of, of value system to the to the the arms dealing thing that like, you know, I don't I don't have a cult like, you know, like, you know, Yodkowsky does or or mm -hmm. you know, Jones does or, or Q does or so on, um, mm -hmm. where like, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, put things in front of people that are going to limit them that I'm, that are going to suck right. them into some space that I'm, I'm trying to put things in front of people that are going to help them do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know that that enables them in in you know whatever whatever desire affordances yeah yeah provides them affordances mm -hmm. yes um and uh you know with with zero's question you know where is bronze age mindset into this uh you know Bron bronze age pervert he, he feels like a like a, a pretty deep player to me um like you know bronze age mindset is definitely has, has a lot of ways in which it is a you know some some kind of of reactionary recruitment tool and so on um, but I, I feel like it also goes beyond that too. I think that if somebody is is you know a, a revolutionary socialist or insurrectionary anarchist or what have you, or you mm -hmm. know I don't know you know super woke kind of kind of person, you know if they were to read Bronze Age mindset and like ignore all the bits that are you know odious to them, um, that like they could take a lot away from it that would that would you know help them you know do what they're going to do, like mm -hmm. you know in a lot of ways you know. BAP wants people to, you know, be healthier and stronger and more aggressive and more beautiful. Um, like, and, and he thinks that if they accomplish this, this will make them reactionary. And, you know, is he right? I don't know. You know, if, if being healthy and strong and beautiful makes people reactionary, well, you know, I mean, maybe it's not so bad then. Um, well, I have it, I have it right here by my, my table. Ah. So. Wow, you and I are like the only people who've ever brought the bought the actual print on demand. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I've, I've got, I've got what my... is? I mean, let me ask you something. What is the? 
appeal of Bronze mindset. I so you know, let's just say for research purposes, right? <laughs> the, the 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 thing that struck me the most about that was this thing that comes through the end call from your dean tomorrow. From my dean, no, but it, it, you look right. So the thing that struck me the most was this kind of odd confession about being a young gay child, right? In high school, this comes near the end. It's it's the most revealing part of the book, right? Uh, to my mind. Yeah, it's like, it's, you know, how, I, God, and you, you guys have I, to pull this out. Whatever, whatever it was, I didn't read it that way. I don't, I don't remember there being a. Yeah, there, there was, was always yeah. speculations that the BAP is like gay or something. Well, I, this I, is, I, I, you know, like, I think BAP is, BAP is gay is a meme, basically, but yeah. like. Whatever the, whatever the, whatever the truth of this person is, right, we just, you know, just look at the text, right? Yeah. And that to me, this, you know, after all of this, you know, Nietzschean God stuff, you end up with this kind of childhood moment. And that's that's maybe the this for me the whatever geometric. Well, now I, now I'm going to have to reread it to to see what you're you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's so, always yeah. been mm-hmm. there's always no that that's that's too deep because I would be ascribing things to Bap that that maybe isn't there. But I uh, there there is a certain element of um, the the sort of the Hellenism of Bap that is at play with a, a deeper sort of um, anti-Chthonic sexuality. And I, there, there's something, there, there is something there. And if you look at the history of various like millenarian regimes, uh, but not, not to say that BAP is like, I don't know, creating like, because you know, the typical like journalistic response, he's a Nazi and all this stuff. I, I well, think it's like so. Olive Garden Mediterraneanism, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit tricky for me. I, I mean, I, um, for me, the question is, what is the, what is the continuing appeal of, of these sorts of things, right? Like this simultaneous worship of Greece and hatred of the Greeks, right? Um, you know, what is, you know, what is sitting, what is this kind of undissolvable core think, that's sitting for Heidegger, that's sitting for the Nazis? What, what's, what yeah. is that? It's, it's the energy of it. It's the under, like, you know, yeah, he contradicts himself constantly. And that's, you know, I think that's, you know, if not intentional, at least inevitable. Um, but, like, but this, and he's, he's illustrating that cognitive dissonance is an op. Uh, yes. Yeah. But, but there's, the thing with BAP is that he's created, and again, I, I don't want to like, People who he created a brand and a cult personality, but the, the thing is, is that he he created a genuine, I would think, aesthetics of existence that mm-hmm. is it is in play with a, a number of polysemous elements that all fit together, mm-hmm. and I I truly think it's very much taking up what the sort of like warrior poet philosopher of old like at least in terms of creating like a totality, um um what's the word for it in German total art uh, that, that you, know, you know what I'm talking about. It's better than the original Klingon, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. From Goethe yeah. and onwards. But I, I, I feel that, yeah, there, there is an appeal because there's genuinely something creative and provocative and it's, it goes deeper than the standard sort of um, strains of the right wing, either being like from like, I don't know, american like religious right protestantism or like hpd like science evo psych like you mm. know steve sailor spandrel type of stuff well, it's it, it goes cuts a bit deeper or like i don't know like the the um classicist type of like endeavor stuff it, it's it's something that is for like it comes at a perfect moment 
in terms of these various different like dissident strains. But but one thing I wanted to ask you, um, Chaos Prime, there there was this part in your thread, your breakdown of it. You say, um, and maybe I'm just asking. Maybe it's a stupid question, but like. Um, for clarification, you say, okay, so it's after like only sudden steel will show you the path. I feel like there's some <laughs> confusion about parentheses and irony. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. just just you know, gliding past the Mishima reference there. Yeah, you. yeah, but 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 it comes after this this one part. Um, city culture hypersexuality as enervation definitely a thing. Yes, um, naturally driven right into uh, utterly predictable trad Vedic Taoist uh, gyno paranoia. <laughs> um, haha, bro, just absorb the feminine godhead into yourself for infinite life force, bro. Bro, how is this even possible, bro? So, again, this is, um, very much like you know, the Julius Evola, like solar lunar distinction, um, the chthonic energy. But, but what do you mean by, um, like it's it's hard to read things in tweet form, obviously. Um, but you're saying that, uh, yes, this is true about like this sort of detached hypersexuality within city life, within like the verminoid heap, the bug towers, as Bap would say, yes. the spiritual lesbianism, as Bap would say. But <laughs> what are you, you're saying that um, Bap is demonizing these things. Uh, for example, he said, here's a fun trick. See if you can wedge a nail file between BAP's concept of spiritual lesbian and everything else concept of closeted trans man without using the social affiliation dimension. Th that was another confusing thing. Maybe you could speak on like... I mean, that's that's basically just saying that, that you know, what BAP is talking about when he's talking about a, a spiritual lesbian is is like what anybody else would talk about in describing a, a closeted trans man. It's, you know, mm. someone with a, a, a female body and a male spirit. Yeah, yeah, and he and and this is like the ultra solar masculine, like you must like eliminate like the young Martin Sheehan face lesbianism <laughs> from your soul. Uh, so this is like Dravidian. Then you say uh, in Indiluvian civilization determined via gnosis to have been ended by spontaneously rising Amprim death squads. Uh, hollow earth inhabited by noble Andaluvian trickster remains remnants and also evil antediluvian uh, death robots. Um, I, yeah, I, I guess the Dero's in there. Yeah, I guess what Bap is saying is that there was a sort of like the Faustian spirit of certain civilizations, like whether it's Indo-European, whatever, that it, it has a tendency to like defeat itself. But but this is like I'm I'm reading through it, and maybe if you wrote something like a long form because th these are like you're you're formulating these like critiques several people asked me to write a long form review yeah. oh yeah <laughs> because these critiques are so good i feel that um like the usual hmm the, these critiques I, well, I, are I, I probably seem to be engaging with it a little more you know deeply even yes if I'm, even but if i'm you know being like a little a, tongue in the yeah. cheek than than yeah. people often are but, but what is the fundamental critique of Bronze Age mindset? Um, and saying as someone who's, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself, I, I don't know. I mean, I consider, I don't know if like, if you see, like identifies, like I'm a Baptist, I'm, I'm this, you know, but like, <laughs> I, I do feel that BAP is like, I think one of the most important thinkers of our generation. Un unironically, I'm not saying this as a meme. He is, in my opinion, one of the most important thinkers. But what is your, like, if you were to summarize your critique of BAP? I, 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 put, I put my my core critique in the in the chat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let me, let me. Ooh. 
And guys, while while we are looking for it, don't forget to subscribe to break the rules. We are getting more subscribers, and I really appreciate this. Everybody here, you are amazing. You are all you are all beautiful people. So here, I'm going to post this in the BTR chat. Youth and beauty are are universally hated in almost all human societies in history. We've reached levels of reactionary, imaginary history that shouldn't even be possible. Um, I mean, chapter- come on. Youth and beauty hate. Okay, like you're killing me here, Bab. Yeah. I'm just saying there's there's this lovely remark I I just saw this in the chat here which is oh, uh, Philip Daniel yeah on oh, um, yeah. on Otto Weininger so this is I mean it's a, I think it's a really wonderful reference right Weininger being this uh this author popular author um Jewish homosexual um decided that you know both being Jewish and being homosexual was this feminine principle that needed to be or you know needed to necessarily be you know, subordinated to the masculine principle of the German spirit. I mean, mm, it's it's mm-hmm. a, a kind of Bappian form. Um, I'm I'm not a scholar of Weininger. I, I know it simply through um, Ray Monk's biography of Wittgenstein, uh, hugely influential for Wittgenstein, which is bizarre, right? This, you know, sort of kind of Jordan Peterson thing, right? This kind of esoteric teaching is important for this person who ends up being a, a major figure in analytic philosophy, like one of the founding, the founding figures. Figure, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, so there, there's, there's something odd. I mean, I, I keep going back to the psychoanalytic thing, which is um, what's the, what's the underlying driver here? For, I, I can, I can try to explain this, for the appeal. Yeah. Go I, for I, it, I, before yeah. before yeah. you do yes. that, Lev, let me just shout out to Philip Daniel. He's friend of the show. Philip Daniel, yes. go to his YouTube channel. He is an amazing composer. Amazing. If you are into 20th century atonal music from Schoenberg mm. to Leggy um, to Bartok, it, he is amazing. He contributed music recently to a painting video I have that I came out with yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, shout out to Philip Daniel. Go to his YouTube channel. But, yeah, sorry, love, cut you off. I just had to. Uh, I'm going to pose both of them right mind. now. I'm trying to find a Philip Daniel's amazing organ piece, and I'm going to post it as soon as I uh, find it. But uh, I'm going to post your uh, painting video tweet over here in the meantime. Mm. But what I was getting to here is, um, uh, Simon, have you heard of Kundalini? Oh God! Here it comes. I mean, like not like not enough to say yes. Right? <laughs> okay, so uh, Kundalini. Okay, this is again one of these things where a person starts talking about it, uh, and people aren't prepared. Are we, am I going to need a trigger warning on no, this? No, 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 no. Only if no, I start talking. It's okay. not. It's not Kundalini. It's Kundalini. That there's a difference. It could save your life. Okay. So anyway, this is one of those things though, where a person talks about it, and people are like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But um, in um, Hinduism or the Advaita Vedanta, whatever you want to call it, in yoga, there is this practice of breathing and meditation that results in people feeling an energy come up through their spine. And I think that this is something that, again, upon personal experimentation, you know, personal experience, this is something that for me exists and other people have also replicated similar things with their own uh, with their own bodies. The idea being that a lot of these things that uh, they talk about in the woo sphere of chakras and, uh, you know, uh, prana, all, all these various things talking about like this, these primordial systems of energy that are within the human body. I do think that this is something that exists. But with that comes the uh, fact that if it exists and if it is something that at least 
for me, it hasn't resulted in this yet, but other people who have had a, these experiences, they say that it has, where supposedly once this energy that feels like I would describe it like a liquid snake in your back, moving around, up and well, down, doing kund- swirls. That's the kundalini energy. It's this energy yes. snake that coils around your spine. Exactly. In, in various yoga yogic practices, yeah. And uh, when it goes up, the idea is that you are supposed to have an experience of oneness with the universe. And it's not like f- finality where that's it, you don't, you don't have to be reborn again. No, it's just like it's a very important experience nonetheless. But the idea here is that human beings are primarily this, this energy force. This is who we are. This is a part of us being connected to God. And this energy expresses itself uh, through, you know, we have the... Uh, uh, what was it? Rajas, Sattvas, and uh, what was the last one? Uh, the, the last one's like, Tat- what was it? Um, Rajasic, uh, Sattvic, and uh, well, the last Thomas, one was the, Thomas. Thomas, was that's it, it, the lazy one. So Thomas is supposed to be this feeling of not really wanting to do anything, of destruction, and uh, Rajas is supposed to be the opposite, like the feeling of energy the radiating thumos, out. Yeah. Exactly. Rawr, exactly. And that's much more of the Bronze Age mindset type energy that I think would also be seen when people look, admire, like, you know, Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan or any of these people. They would see, like, all this energy bursting forth, like all this raw power. And then Sattva, it's the, I'd say, an equivalent but inwards, where you take this energy and you try to go in and connect yourself to the source, which I think is what a lot of the more uh, esoteric, esoteric aspects of various religions and mystery cults try to do. And the idea for me here is try to figure out what the hell are we? What are we as far as like we grow up, we're, we're born, we grow up, like we only know the things that have been passed down to us through our family and society. But as far as these much more primordial aspects of our own body, of things that we can unlock through doing these various meditations and breathing techniques and seeing like a white light in the center and various uh, geometric shapes. I know I'm a broken record, but again, my limit has so far been being able to see a three-dimensional DNA helix that I can rotate by thinking about it. And I don't mean imagining it. I mean actually closing my eyes and having the electric signals inside of my brain generate this image. So the reason why I connected again to Bronze Age mindset and all of that is like Graham Hancock said, we are a species with amnesia. And I think a lot of people are resonating with this idea that there is a lot more to human nature than meets the eye and a lot more just like our origin, who we are, what we're capable of achieving. And people, I think, are very thirsty for, you know, obtaining that kind of power, seeking it out. And I think people use various demagogues that have existed throughout history uh, as kind of, um, you know, as as exemplars of this, where even if I can't achieve it, at least I can be part of something where there is going to be some representation of that vital force manifesting itself in the world, where today I'm only seeing, like, lazy people and drugged-up people and losers and society, you know, like, that's that's the impression that people have, that's why they seek it out. But I think it does come from a uh, positive yearning to get to a higher state of reality as far as how to go about it i go the individual path but that's that's kind of how i see people operating when seeking things like a bronze age mindset well let me this is this is great levin i you're 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 triggering all these 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 thoughts here and so 
Um, let me let me try to untangle this a little bit. Um, and I, I, this is I should say, you know, um, I'm a I'm a non-overlapping magisteria guy, right? So this is this is great. Um, I, I come from this position, right, that you know the anti-fascist stance is is uh, the stance associated with the unlimited development of the human spirit, right? That's that's for me that is what it means. Um, uh, you know, these are these are not equivalent contests, but these are very deeply related. And you know, one of the great anti-fascists was Umberto Eco. Uh, also, the I wouldn't say the inventor of semiotics, but the interpreter of someone like Charles Sanders Peirce for the modern era. So, you know, Echo being this, I think, this really foundational thing. And I, what you're helping make clear for me is is uh, an essay that uh, Echo wrote years ago about the open work. And um, there's this funny thing. He he does this funny move where he says, "Look, take a James Bond novel, like uh, uh, you know, the, one of those pulp novels, and uses James Bond as the example." Um, you would think that, oh, you know, this is crap, this is trash. And what it is, is that uh, it's, you know, it's trash because it's overdetermined. It's not like, oh, Ulysses, it, it opens out, it's this infinite text, right? And Echoes is kind of the opposite, because what the James Bond novel enables you to do is project basically anything onto it, right? Bond, these are these sort of ciphers onto which you can project, and this is not an echo now, it's, you know, you could, you got your psychomachia, you've got your internal battles, you've got your experience in life. And this Bond novel is for a certain moment in cultural history, this is a, you know, a, the perfectly blank projection screen, right? This is the high def thing that you can then actually watch yourself. In. And what I wonder hearing you talk about BAP and at the same time describing these sort of very profound embodied experiences is that I wonder if BAP is like, for some people, like this Bond novel, right? It's a thing onto which you can project a far more complex internal reality. And it just so happens that this object has the right contours to kind of, I don't know, to cancel out whatever distorting world one otherwise mm. inhabits. Does that well, make, does that make sense? It, it, yeah. It can't just have random assortment of symbols that people will then fill the pieces uh, in themselves. Because I think that mm -hmm. it, with James Structure, Bond, for yeah. example, yeah, but with James Bond, for example, you know, he is a ladies' man, he has the, the gun and all that. Yep. There are certain symbols, yep. archetypal symbols that come out here. Same Fish thing Empire, with like. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. same thing with, let's say, a lot of these shapes that have been used, and I would include things like the swastika, for example, and various other imperial seals, like the eagle with the wings spread out, uh, reminiscent of the Farvahar mm -hmm. in um, uh, Zoroastrianism, which is also reminiscent of the Egyptian sun, and the, as well as like the imperial eagle in Rome, as well as uh, in 1940s Germany. So the idea here, I think, that when people see these various things, like these very straight-looking, you know, symbols like thunder, lightning, all that stuff, I think to them that is also a reflection of power, energy bursting forth. And these are also things mm -hmm. that we could see when we go outside, when we see a flower. Even when we yeah. see a tree, for example, I recently posted uh, a thing on Twitter about the Vajra, which is the uh, symbol that's used in Buddhism, but it's also used in other religions as well as this lightning rod. You could say this is like the OG lightning rod wielded by uh, the god Zeus. And uh, when, when I went out into the garden, I observed a tree, and I noticed for a second there, especially since now the trees, you know, aren't covered with leaves, but this one is. But still, you could see over here that this, uh, this tree, it's like a Vajra. 
in the sense that the bottom is like the top and it's like energy that's bursting forth from the top and the bottom and this is supposed to be one of the most destructive weapons of all time but the interesting flip side to that is that in buddhism the buddha was able to close the vajra up and that to me is a symbol of going inwards where this destructive power can be reused for uh, for different ends, basically, but it's still just as powerful, only not going out, now, now going in. But again, like, my big problem, though, is that when people take that at face value, all these symbols, they ignore all the horrible things that go on in the midst of them to completely innocent people. Wherein, like me personally, if people wanted to go off somewhere and participate in one of these flower wars like they had back in uh, South America, or Mexico rather, uh, or participate in some kind of a great battle with people who consent to it. It's like, yeah, let's like challenge ourselves to, you know, like fight with swords and stuff. Great. Like, go on, do that. I'm not going to stop you. But when you take like innocent, you know, uh, Jewish uh, grandmas, you know, and just do all that stuff to them, or like anybody for that matter that does not want to participate in it, when you're already a society that's supposed to get to a higher level of understanding of, you know, like, let's not take the innocent, you know, women, children, and men for that matter, who don't want to participate in this and destroy them while, you know, oogling at these, you know, radiant symbols of energy. That I think is uh, true evil in a way. Because here you have a society like Germany that's already gotten to the point of creating beauty while at the same time balancing that with, uh, you know, being a lot more humanistic than, let's say, Japan was well, well, at around I the mean, same time that Mozart that existed. Beauty, some people say that the beauty itself contributed to that uh, spirit of destruction. But, well, this but is, I mean, this is the standard thing, like yeah. fascism is aestheticized politics, right? Yeah. And... I mean, I, I maybe one other way to say this, and this is kind of this came up in the comment, right? It's like, why do people project the same things onto BAP, right? Mm. And I mean, one thing, it's funny, like you read someone like Andrea Long Chu, right? Who writes this crazy book uh, on women. And uh, there's clearly some kind of sympathetic resonance there with the alt-right, with the incels, with Reddit. There's something that makes sense to her. Um, the, you know, these are, these are mental affordances that people use, right? Um, they're, they're, you know, switches that can go in either direction. They're levers that can do different things. And, uh, the, you know, externalization of them, it's, I don't know, it's, um, it's, you know, if it wasn't tragic, it would be childish, right? The, the idea that I'm going to make these mental affordances, these things that give me a grip, let's say on a psychic reality, on an unconscious embodied experience to, to say that those things are actually real, meaning physical reality and vice versa to treat people as symbols within your own psychomachia. That, that is, uh, I mean, that, you know, if we're, if we're talking about evil, that, that may be one of the deepest sources. Of it. Hmm. And it is, I but, think but about then, finding a balance here. Like, yeah. cause I, I, we, when we hmm. rob, when we rob society of beauty, like what I think is happening again, in the example of last summer, people were tearing down these statues. And again, regardless of any of the undertones of like who these people mm -hmm. were and all that stuff, just the image of a statue being raised down and graffiti being sprayed over. It's like, what, this is the best you can fucking do? It's like, okay, good luck. No, but good I luck trying to get something I, to a, as high of a level as I that statue was. I, I feel like there's this, I don't know, there's this need. There's an aesthetic in the destruction as well. Yes, like there yeah, is exactly. a certain kind of death drive that makes people impelled in that direction to create sure. things that are being destroyed and are in a state of decay or, you know, ruin. 
but it's not it's not beautiful though i think that's i mean you could say it's beautiful in its own way it's the aesthetics of ruin wordsworth right sure 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 but but you wouldn't have those aesthetics. But you wouldn't have those aesthetics. Come on, like, you've never seen a, a beautiful piece of ruin porn. No, no, right, exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, but here's yeah. the difference. You wouldn't but, but have that ruin different. porn. But this is Politically motivated destruction. Yeah. That's no, but also you wouldn't have that ruin porn if not for the ruin. In other words, that ruin makes the ruin porn. If you just have a bunch of graffiti on just like a wall, if the graffiti's great, if it's like some graffiti that's been you know created by uh, so uh, you know some by great not imagine- a toy, Lev, by not a toy, who is an exactly. actual tag. Well, okay, so, yeah. we were talking about um we were talking about cyberpunk last week, right? And yeah. I think that's a pretty good example of the same thing, where that's definitely uh, I would say a bad reality is kind of the typical view of that, that it's like a super decadent late capitalist kind of the society's been totally stratified. Nobody wants to live there. It's a hellscape, whatever. And the thing that draws everyone towards it is the aesthetics of it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the world that this uh, late capitalism builds is just really appealing to some kind of a uh, fascinated part of our psyche. And it's maybe like a darker reflection mm-hmm. of who we are, that we're attracted to something that we know is evil or we know is going to hurt us. But I don't think that you can say that that's um, like... A, a rejection of aesthetics to build that kind of a world, even though it's transparently constructed, like in the case of a cyberpunk future, that's obviously a bunch of, um, you know, marketing techniques that are being used to uh, conform people's brains. And it's very much in service of the politics of the uh, world, but it's still at the same time, something that's appealing on like a primeval Mm. level. Well, you'd want to play it. You may want to watch a movie about it, but you, would you rather live there or live somewhere with a lot of nice trees and, uh, you know, uh, good architecture? You know, that that's the thing mm-hmm. at the end of the day for me. Oh. People, I think, are going to be drawn more to the uh, Parthenon and Pantheon rather than to some oddly shaped uh, glass structure, you know, with uh, But with yet a we're drawn to them because, again, this is, you know, Heidegger and the work of art. We're drawn to them because they're dead, because we've taken them and put them in the museum, and therefore <laughs> we've given each other and we've given ourselves really? an aesthetic space. I don't. Well, know, they're man. dead in the sense that they don't serve like a purpose of uniting like the world that what created it. Yeah, but, but, but they're not dead before... in the sense that they do posit a transhistorical truth, at least in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, well, what is like? Yeah, go on, left side. No, 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 no. I, I. I just I wanted to push back though on what you said about about Umberto Eco though, but, but sorry, Lev, go ahead. No, no, no. Ahead. I would love for Gio to do that, yeah. but before that, I just want to say again, like with these, uh, with like a classical or neoclassical architecture, <laughs> Cyberdeco. Yes, that's like, in the chat. Cyberdeco. That's Cyberdeco. Uh, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think that stuff like this is incredibly psychedelic, and I would say <sighs> that it's more psychedelic. A lot of the this old school architecture than um i don't know than uh, a lot of the art that the hippies ended up making i truly believe that like or if you look at the uh like the old indian temples for instance you would also see that same kind of uh fractal sacred geometry whatever you want to call it like look at this building for instance this building is an example of a uh, dmt trip you know just the way that it's done over here with these uh, successive Ooh, yeah. layers and the same thing could be said about various other buildings like buildings in vienna buildings in uh, italy you know like buildings mm-hmm. in the vatican mm-hmm. it's all the same structure of sacred geometry and then the uh thing in the center like the central light 
out of which everything else comes out. Like these structures, they keep repeating on and on and on. In fact, I'll post an image of it uh, a little bit later. But again, this idea is that people are attracted to all this stuff. But the problem is that, again, when people assign, you know, various uh, leaders and give them free reign, this is where a lot of perversity ends up happening, too. Because people think that, oh, if I'm going to get this leader who talks about, you know, leading this clean and righteous life, everything's going to be good. But again, like a lot of things that end up happening in uh, Nazi Germany, for instance, is that people had free reign to do whatever the fuck they wanted with people. And the things that they ended up doing with people were horrible. And it's like that that's beauty that that's you know what I mean? Like, that's the other side of it. It's like I can't make that much sense out of the connection between the two. But it seems like in that case, when you gave people free reign uh, of a certain well, it's, type it's to a, go out and the, do whatever they wanted. Well, let me let me just let me just jump in here, Lev. I. I think I think it's a useful thing to say, right? Just you know, and maybe yeah. this is academic in me, right? What we're talking about here are various myths that we're going to attach the name Nazism to, right? So there's yes. a historical account, historical facts, right? So I think what we're what you're talking about here is a a a certain thing that one does that you know you're going to say, okay, we're going to put this on, we're going to put this onto a, a Nazi mythology, we're going to put this together. Um, there's two pieces here. You're you're bringing up these beautiful images, right? Um, you're talking, I think, in a sense about the neuroscience of, of appreciation, right? Uh, there are ways in which these objects are interacting with our visual system in deeply compelling ways. And this is something we see in psychedelic experiences yeah. as well, right? There's, you know, however many it is these days, eight layers of the visual system down which the, the raw signal gets processed. You could push at any point, right? Cartoon looks real. So, you know, there's that, there's that chunk. And then there's this question like, well, you know, what is the aesthetic experience, which is a much higher level question. Yeah. And so, you know, look, uh, fake Kant, right? Aesthetics is a fundamentally private experience, a private judgment that you believe has a universal transubjective claim. Through an impartiality. Right? That, yeah. Exactly. Right. So this is, you know, this is where one starts to see the connection between uh, aesthetics and something like fascism where you have this compelling private judgment, you show somebody an image, and yet out of that, they draw this uh, account of the way one should behave towards others, so one should understand others. And so I think that's, you know, there's, there's a neuroscientific experience or like a neurological experience of beauty, which I think one, you want to separate this from a certain kind of political, uh, fascistic aesthetics you don't want to discount this private, the, the power of this private experience. And yet at the same time, you want to be able to distinguish it. So maybe that's one of the challenges. Well, I, I feel that we shouldn't distinguish it. Maybe that makes me a fascist. Who knows? Hey, um, well, you hey. wanted to get into, you wanted to get into the Umberto Eco stuff. And I would love that as oh, well. Yeah. Just, but just, just want, real quick over yeah. here. This is one mm -hmm. of the images that I wanted to show. So again, mm -hmm. like everything coming from a central point here and uh, this star over here, the five-pointed star on the uh, top mm -hmm. side the with notice... the balls around it, that's yeah. a experience that I have in meditation. So it's like, it, I think this is something, again, I don't think it's just, well, this is what I think. You know, I think yeah. that this is something that is inherently linked to the human psyche, that they're able to perceive but these it, things. But it's linked and, uh, to human psyche that was created in civilizations that had a capacity for a, a um, what would you call it? A, a mono perspective vision, um, the heliosphere that Slaughter Knight called it. I, you but know, it's now culture is actually, you know, the, the, the part, let me just jump in here because I, I, I've wondered about this. We've done 
not me. We people have done studies on the effect, and this is just one example of visual illusions, optical illusions. And there's some really powerful ones that involve assumptions, let's say, about converging parallel lines. There was this belief for many, many years that this was culturally determined, right? So if you went out and found people who lived in cultures where there were no parallel lines, they wouldn't be vulnerable to this. Turns out not to be the case, actually. Hmm. Um, there's actually, you know, the visual system was coded up really, really early. Um, the only thing that does seem to happen is that the response to visual illusions is weaker during puberty, sort of during this rush of hormones. But actually there's, I mean, this, you know, these, these five circles, this sort of thing that Lev is talking about, I'm not going to say that this, this, this response is entirely culturally determined. I just wanted to jump in there, Gios, I, and I, I, mm. I'm sorry about that, but there, there's something that, that, that struck me. Yeah, yeah, that's, hmm. I, I do, sorry. yeah, there is a universality. Yeah. Well, it's no, more, no, there it, is. It, it, just uh, as another example, and again, for all the people, I apologize, who have already heard this ad nauseum from previous shows, but of course, uh, Simon is new here, and I really appreciate him coming on, uh, so I just want to make it clear that what it is, what it at least appears uh, for me to be, is a framework of experiencing all kinds of visuals in this, uh, I guess, matrix would be a pretty good word for it, even though I guess it's kind of hackneyed, you know, since it's been used so much. But it's basically like, here, I, I could show you one one last representation of it uh, right over here. This, this is the one. This you is can the say Indra's net if you don't like saying Matrix at all. Yeah, Indra's net is great. So uh, th this one is an image that I drew based on how I think this whole thing is working. So do the Wim Hof method. I have this reaction to it where these lights over here, like the balls in the periphery, I barely see them, but they're just spinning in the periphery. And then I have this uh, this halo over here in the middle, and then these these several little balls, which seem like a, like a mirror image of the peripheral thing. The interesting thing about these is that these would manifest as various other shapes. So, for example, imagine um, from the center lines go down and create an arc like this and this arc is also made of lines kind of like a smiley face and again what does that remind you of that symbol in hinduism where you would have like the dot and then the crescent below the dot which is also you could say found in islam as well but um same thing with let's say a triangle or a star like i had the five-pointed star over here where there was a literal five-pointed star that manifested right in the center of my vision so when it comes to this manifesting of shapes and the way it works, it seems to me that there are there is some kind of framework, some kind of architecture that's capable of generating these shapes in particular ways and interacting in such a way where you, where you have like two circles. Like, let's say, again, back to light, generation, the blooming of a flower, the sprouting of a tree or whatever, like something coming out of like a single seed, a single origin point spreading out. So one example is you would have two of these uh, lights spreading out. So you would have a dot out of this dot come out these lines. And all these lot, dot, uh, lines have little dots that are at the end of it. You know, kind of like sperm or dragons or whatever you want to call them. So then you would have these circles meeting up together like so, intersecting. And when that happens, and this happened a couple of times, this intersection would then start to create a DNA helix. And that DNA helix, you know, it would be like a line and then like the, uh, the two swirling lines around it would then start to spin around and create another structure on top of it. 
made out of countless spinning blue and purple lights, which I can then zoom in, zoom out of, and rotate just by using my brain, just by thinking about it. And one last thing to add to this is that this area over here in the middle, it starts to gyrate kind of like a small motor where it would physically go like, like that when this whole zoetrope effect is happening. And again, this, it's not just me imagining it. It's like actual electric impulses or whatever you want to call it is creating an image in the dark of all of this stuff going on. So again, like when I take a look at that and when I take a look at other experiences that people have had, I'm, I'm leaning on the fact that this is something that's inherent to many, if not all, human beings as being part of something we are all capable of experiencing. And I can't just say that, oh, it's just an optical illusion or it's a hallucination. It may be. I mean, I don't know. But it is very interesting just how much the brain is capable of generating in this way. And uh, that's all I want to say. Then I want to go to uh, Gio uh, about Umberto Echo. But I'm curious, Simon, what you think of that. I, I mean, I, you know, you, what you're making me think of, and, you know, this is, uh, is, and I'm forgetting the name of the philosophers who pioneered this, something called the interface theory of perception, right? Which is our brain, and we, you know, to me, this is something we see a little bit in how the visual system works, right? Um, to me, we are given an image of the world that is essentially composed of affordances enabled in order to ensure our evolutionary survival and evolution broadly conceived, right? There's a lot of flexibility here, right? So Fortran was written for differential equations, but you can also write Facebook and Fortran. So it's, it's, this is not a deterministic thing, but you know, the, the thing that we consider and even someone like this Heidegger guy would consider uh, reality is something that is entirely constructed uh, as an interface. There are no files on your computer, right? The actual machine that you're interacting with is this like hellscape of transistors. And so the, the first thing I say is absolutely, right? Like the extent to which your brain confabulates continuously is, and optical illusions are just a really lovely, um, you know, whatever, normie example of this, right? It's inarguable that your brain is misrepresenting something that used to, to you seems to be qualia, right? It's, it's absolutely uh, uncontradictable and yet it's false. So, you know, we're, we, this is something we know already. And, you know, part of, you know, let's say cognitive science, part of understanding how the brain interacts with society is saying, well, look, how far can we go down in the stack? Yeah. Right. How, how, how far can we go down? You, you disorient your brain in a certain way. You're going to start seeing chunks of your visual system kick in that are usually hidden from you. your edge detectors. Right. Uh, you may have seen these, these machine learning devices that, that we call dreaming, right? They sort of magnify the pattern recognition in some part of it. You get these kind of trippy rainbow colored dogs coming out of dogs. You've probably seen these. Um, so, you know, we can even generate some of these, uh, which tells us something about the underlying code. And that's, of course, deeply, deeply exciting, right? So I think that's, that's maybe my, my, my response here. It's a very respectful response. Love. I hope I say this is, I guess I would just argue that you know, optical illusions are not trash, right? They're actually a really simple way to understand that you're running many layers of software between yourself and what you would consider to be unmediated reality. 
But even but 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 the interesting but part even the for aspect me, of like Heideggerian throwness, like in yeah, I I I just because it's guys are not there, I just have to dump on Heidegger. But Lev, sorry, you were gonna. No, you were gonna but the interesting like, part of me, uh, the interesting part of this whole thing for me is not so much that oh, I could see these various things, people could see all mm-hmm, kinds mm-hmm. of weird stuff. The interesting part for me is specifically the control that I have over the imagery, where, again, mm-hmm. this is a much more, let's say, primitive example over here in comparison to the DNA one, but these mm-hmm. are A, B, these are letters of the alphabet that I was able to generate by moving these swirls of blue and purple light around. This is great, right? This is like classic level crossing, right? I mean, what you're describing well, here is high-level well, conceptual thought. So, yeah, high-level conceptual thought, mm-hmm. right? Uh, interacting with these much lower level visual experiences, right? This back and forth between, um, you know, reasonable thought or reason, or at least, you know, ego, the, you know, the psychoanalyst would say the ego, um, and these things below, right? So this, this goes in, or can go in both directions, um, that you can generate really compelling visual experiences um, by things that you've learned at a much higher conscious level. Uh, classic example of this, and again, like this is sort of the trivial version, right? Is um, you know things like uh, how you can't you miss typos. You see a doubled word like the the in a text, your brain just eliminates it. Yeah. Why does it eliminate? You don't see it. Why? Because you know conceptually speaking, there there are no those that go together, right? You you know how an English sentence works, and so you you silently eliminate one of them, and yet that percolates all the way down. So this is sort of a direction this way. Right, where a, a kind of rational belief, at least one that's open to examination, is forcing a visual perception, right, that you can't see the typo. Just as, you know, of course, you get the other direction, like some visual illusions make, you know, black squares look red or something, right? This case, it goes the other direction, right? The or, low or level. You can't percept, even see the yeah. gorilla that's uh, in right. the shot. You know, there are examples yeah, like exactly. this. But, yeah, but so the, like but the thing, I, yeah. But the thing that really gets me, though, is Mm -hmm. that example of the letters of the alphabet, I'd say that's pretty, pretty damn primitive in comparison to the DNA one, because I don't have the Mm -hmm. I don't have the um, Photoshop uh, file here. But just again, to paint an example for you, imagine Mm -hmm. an incredibly complex looking three dimensional structure of like a dome, like, I don't know, the dome on top of the Mm -hmm. U.S. Capitol building that mm-hmm. uh, is rotating around at incredibly fast speed around this little wide DNA helix in the middle. And now mm-hmm. imagine that you are able to just like, just like right. zoom out and then just rotate it as if you're operating a 3D program like Maya. For uh, That's a funny name, by the way, for a program, right? Maya oh. Illusion. But anyway, yeah. so imagine you're operating this thing just with your mind be, be, being able to go in and out. And for me, it's a very interesting thing. Again, like I'm not making any, I'm not leaping to conclusions of what exactly no, this no, is, no. but this is like a whole other level that I don't think people really talk about that much as far as what the brain is able to generate, not just in terms of having certain blobs sort of look like the letters of the alphabet, but this is like right. actually having a three-dimensional structure that can be navigated in 3D space inside of your mind. But I mean, this is this is wonderful. I mean, it, 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 two things strike me here. One is, you know, I think about Jung and the Red Book, right? This sort of complete breakdown he has, where it's unclear what he's seeing and what he's confabulating. Um, the other thing that strikes me is, you know, the use of psychedelics. I mean, this is, uh, you know, no psychedelics. One... I've been clean for several uh, years. No psychedelics years. So at all. Completely. I, I got to just put this out here, right? Um, and I, I also love. I totally respect that. I mean, I just, you know, suggesting here, right? that psychedelic experiences 
um, or at least learning the ways in which those emerge um, is probably one of the you know, best sources of mental health that we have under the right conditions. And, uh, you know, this is cognitive behavioral therapy uh, to, uh, you know, a much, much higher degree. You might think of CBT as a, a mechanism that, you know, you have a rational encounter with a therapist, with a trained therapist, where your goal is to manipulate underlying things you don't usually have access to, things that cause you anxiety, pain. Um, the psychedelic experience potentially by enabling this level crossing in the reverse direction or making it more porous uh, may be a really like a deeply profound source. It's not something that we, you know, we've been able to study for many, I mean, you know, not to go on, 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 on the decriminalization of psychedelics. So that seems to be a big gap. I will also say, right, it doesn't require these, um, you know, so there's uh, this level, I, I would say that maybe the psychedelic experiences on some continuum with the things you're describing here that are not pharmacologically induced right so i, I well it's clear. uh i think it's more Actually, from I'm... the uh, dmt effect of uh doing the breathing techniques i would love for you to uh, meet later on john chavez who did the documentary that i'll send you later uh called dmt quest where he talks a lot about how these various techniques result in the uptake of dmt in the uh human body and again this mm -hmm. is like the same chemical well, that people take that go on all these uh journeys intense trip well i don't know um, I, yeah. all this like oh sorry did i cut you off maybe just yeah. I, no, 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 please, please. I, I'm going to say I, I am deeply late for a, a, a colleague of mine, so I, I, I may go in a little bit, but, but this well, is I definitely want to get to Geo. Yeah, I was Geo. just going to so two things. Geo, please, yeah, yeah. Lev, like, took us on a trip there, I feel oh, like, man. out of mm -hmm. my head. Um, what was I going to say? Um, one, fascism. Okay, one, okay, no, I'll ah, get yes. to that. Number one, I think this language is, to me at least, like, a bit alienating in terms of, like, thinking of the mind is like a software program and it's like the mental, uh, yeah. it's like the it's mental fun. health industry is intersecting mm -hmm. with like these entheogens. Mm -hmm. It's like, but that's just my own, like, I think know, that, so mind. just, just to be clear, I think that's a great, it's a really great point. I'm, I'm stuck in a certain frame. We're stuck in a certain frame in our account. Right. But also the frame, right. like, I mean, as soon as we mentioned BAP, it's like, we went to like Nazism. Like, again, it's like, to me, my, my critique is um, my critique. Okay. I'm saying this because, of course, like to them, contemporary anti-fascists, everyone's a fascist. I'm, I guess I'm pretty much a fascist, according to them. But my critique mm -hmm. of echoes uh, or, or fascism would be this, like, this, how shall I say this? Again, it's almost like impossible to argue with because then it's like you're projecting like, okay, actually it's the fascist inside of your head that's like arguing with the framework of your fascism. But in, in actuality, uh, my, my, a good friend of mine who is an outside thinker, DC Miller, he wrote this excellent, excellent article. It's called Ur Anti-Fascism. I highly recommend everyone go read it. Mm. Where essentially like the personality type of the anti-fascist in some ways mirrors like a weird sort of inversion of this personality type of the fascist but that's for but an, an, another direction my problem with ur fascism is again this sort of um this equation with uh nazism 20th century fascism and traditionalism proper in terms of like at least uh this like the what i mean by tradition i mean capital t traditionalist school obviously but to say that like the cult of tradition itself breeds in in a sense uh, fascism is, is sort of almost like a selective ignoring of actual fascist ideology from like gentilly onwards. And it's just like hyper-focusing on 
like the Nazi cult of Thule. But also another mm-hmm. thing too is I think that Ur fascism has been used it's been taken up again with like another book would be like the Wilhelm Reich book about like the authoritarian personality where it's like this hermeneutics of suspicion of all things that are contra the narrative of like, I don't know, like what would you call it? Progressive modernity cathedral, like you name it. Mm. If you're against the narrative, then tricky. It's tricky there because I mean, you know, I mean, Adorno I'm thinking of as the authoritarian personality character. Right. right Frankfurt right. School was it was it was a critical stance, right? It was not a positive. Yes, I would yeah, say of, Frankfurt School was not a positive program. So just to interrupt there, but, but right. go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but I would say like the the points that are brought up, it's it's really um it's it it just contributes to the confusion around the discourse of like the the value of tradition and things of that nature and the value of mm-hmm. an aesthetic, at least an aesthetic tradition. But but also like I mean see to me i'm way more sympathetic to adorno than i am to to like the you know contemporary anti-fascist discourse i i just i don't know i feel that um a lot of this stuff has been contorted over the years mm-hmm. to um for certain political narratives and i don't know maybe it's just my own projection because i whatever i'll say no more i'll say no more. I, i'm my thinking i mean politics but yeah you go. i mean there's 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 a really challenging book uh, I forget if it's Adorno or Horkheimer wrote it. Uh, the the cult of authenticity, right? Which yeah, is, that's so Adorno. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Adorno. So this is, I mean, this is this is this really challenging text because mm. um, you know it's 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 asking us to examine a a concept that we actually often consider certainly you know the kind of existentialist moment, right? We consider it to be foundational, and it's asking us to try and take that apart. That's a that's a hard thing to do, right? Mm. Um, you know, I think there's no recipe, there's no recipe book for recognizing, let's say what I would say, call it like echo anti-fascism or eco anti-fascism, which is meaning Umberto Echo's account, having lived through the fascist moment, right? Um, that that position, I want to call it authentic, but I can't now because of Adorno. Um, you know, how do you recognize that as opposed to whatever, um, you know, uh, contemporary go along with it discourse? Um, one, one answer is what affordances to flourishing does it give you, right? Uh, you know, to what extent is it, is it generative for the human being? Those are things, but those are hard to put in a recipe book, right? Those because are, even those the are act of things. putting them into like a framework is itself going to succumb to like an ideological narrative of what even constitutes flourishing, right? So Right. I mean, you know, to, 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 to predefine it, to pre-state it, Mm-hmm. Uh, is to is to I mean and this is maybe this is, goes back to this uh, story we had about uh, the creation of an idol of reason that happens in rationalism that happens in maybe in you know neo rationalism as well instead of uh, you know you 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 worship this kind of fake Rousseau state if you're a James T. Scott fanboy not Scott himself but you know if you if you if you create a a fantasy a T-shirt out of it so I don't know if that's if if that if that speaks to your concern yeah yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. But what was what, what would you say Again, he was this, wrong this about? This warrants like another like three, four hours. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to do. Discussion. We're definitely gonna... Simon. I would love to have you back on yeah. where we can get. Uh... I, this is I'm, I'm very grateful to, to spend time with you guys. You, it's 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 very thank you. And thanks for sharing some of these ideas. Anyway, go on. Lim. Sorry. Yeah. 
Well, I, w- I was just going to say that with uh, Umberto mm-hmm. Eco, I still am curious. I want to read about him as well. I want to read her fascism, and I'm really curious about what exactly not to talk about like people today who would call anything to the uh, right of Bernie Sanders fascist. But if we're talking mm-hmm. about his specific critique, what exactly uh, – what problems Geo sees in that? that, that's what I'm curious about. But well, also, I, would say, yeah. I would say that Foucault's Pendulum, the book he wrote, is – almost like strikingly similar to like inter- contemporary internet discourse nowadays of like, that's great. That's a taking, great point. Yeah. Taking fringe texts and like examining them like, like totally schizo posters that are like buried under like, well, back then buried in like some ancient bookstore, but now it's like buried in like a Usenet forum that was archived mm-hmm. by, uh, by Wayback Machine. <laughs> like it's like this uncovering of like this deep arcana from like fundamentally like, um, yeah, whatever. That's, that's I yeah. when mm-hmm. I when I read Foucault's Pendulum. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it had been years since I had been like running around with like you know the happy go lucky little occultists on Usenet on on alt alt magic with a K and whatnot. Oh <laughs> my god! And reading Foucault's Pendulum, oh. it was it was like coming home to me. It was like oh my god, I recognize all the people in this book. You know, yeah. I used to mm-hmm. go to you know picnics with them and tell them like, hey Bill, tell me something not pertaining to my grade, and he gave me the Master Mason word and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my, my grade yeah yeah because yeah. pendulum is i mean it's funny i hadn't thought about that book for years and years but it it's uh you know i guess today we call it hyperstition or something right yeah. the the um these very compelled personalities who constantly send in books the way in which they're taken advantage of by a vanity press like let's call that facebook yeah. right mm-hmm. uh the way in which they're flattered and cajoled and in fact give up value for what they consider to be their deepest insights it's facebook yeah. right yeah. um it, the way in which then facebook tries to take control of this right so then the then the press that this the, the narrator controls uh says oh great we're going to assemble this and then lo and behold at the end he's hiding in some museum right being chased down <laughs> and you could you could see this as a kind of bizarre prescient allegory for yeah. you know exactly what's 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 happened which is certainly facebook in making money off of let's call it the vanity press of conspiracy did not expect this to boomerang back on them in the way that it did yeah. that's that's great yeah i have to reread that book yeah but, i just love also, the idea of, of current internet mm-hmm. culture mirroring like 90s internet occultist culture yeah yeah but but also i would say that another problem would be this like insistence that fascism is and, and this is just a scholarly point like don't I mean, it may seem like I'm legitimizing fascism. I'm not trying to. Oh, but wait, maybe, maybe perhaps no. Yeah, you're killing me. Just, just, just yeah, say I, it. I'm say very it. problematic. Um, no, I would say the problem is the insistence that a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of academics even that should know better, that like fascism was like a total, um, like it was an emotive pastiche that was an upsurge of like these longings within the human psyche that didn't have like a coherent ideological framework when if you read like for example Mussolini's Intellectuals is a good book where like fascists had very you know rigorous ideological systems it's just that like like for instance like and I see him in the chat they like, had like, Heidegger right they had Heidegger, and, I well, they had Heidegger yeah. right but yeah. but well, there's a debate whether Heideggerianism leads to... Uh, no, but at say, the end of it... But no, but I was talking just, just about let, this... Just let me have my shit post oh, on Don't this, worry about it. Yeah. In the yeah, chat, yeah. my good, good friend, modern hermeticist, who is also in academia, by the way, um, history department, but uh, uh, we were talking about this once, about the sort of... the 
purposeful burying of a lot of things like the latter half of the 20th century in European academia. So for instance, you have the new age movement, which of course lend itself Mm -hmm. to a number of radical politics on the new left and so forth. And there's at least in part, some crossing over. Um, There is like certainly a crossover between like anti-psychiatry and the the new left and the new age movement. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a crossover with the dissident right. Yeah. Well, the dissident right is you know, hopefully I, I, maybe I have some small part in that embracing anti-psychiatry from like, you know, Thomas Saz and Artie Lang and so forth, but no, there's a huge crossover, but yet in Europe at the time, there were the perennialists and there were the traditional school and that those were the people that were sort of like kayfabed heel, like buried <laughs> out of the institution. And it was like this, and, and you know, modern hermeticists, he said the best, there was this war between the narrative of like the, you know, occult knowledge between the new age people, which you could say was on the left. Although I wouldn't say they're more libertarian than anything. And like, you know, hardcore traditionalism, Rene Gunyan, Julius Evola, it was like the one group won out and the other group was like totally banished from academia forever. And I, I don't know, it's like, to me, I mean, that could just be my own self-serving narrative, but it, it just seems that there is an inherent provocative nature to like uncovering like i don't know you're a kid that goes in 4chan and you hear about julius evola and then you like read revolt i mean you don't no one actually reads revolt against the modern world they read like fucking you know snippets of it but it it just seems that where am i getting with this point there is like Mm -hmm. a there is an eroticism attached to like outsider knowledge and put it that way. Mm-hmm. There is Absolutely. a sort of, but it's not, as it's someone not just who a... is also not immune from this by any, I mean, I have fucking revolt against the modern world, right? Next but it's not me, just you know, uh, outsider yeah. knowledge. It's not just outsider yeah. knowledge for its own sake. It's outsider knowledge with the, with everything that you at least perceive around you to be falling apart. It's this idea, you know, like men among the ruins. What are the ruins? The ruins are all these like clown right. world people that keep eating burgers all day and that don't really but, but, pressure but that, themselves to get higher yeah, up. But and that, offering you the, the hope of breaking through something into breaking through the world around you into something else. Yes. But, but also no, me, I would say me, I would caution against just really quickly. I would say that mm-hmm. the point to like well, these people don't systematize everything and therefore it's bad. I think, again, this is the same criticism people have of of BAP, right? Is that there is no formal systematization of this knowledge, but rather it's like... It's against that, really. It's against that, but also it's heavily reliant on an aesthetic of being, which is another thing that a lot of like, you know, post... This is the challenge, right? I mean, this is... um, Sorry to cut you off, Chaos Brian. I'm sorry. Yeah, and sorry, Chaos, please, go ahead. I just I wanted to you know build off of what uh, Gio was saying a bit that basically mm-hmm. you know my difficulty with with Echo uh, is that he's mm-hmm. doing a lot of work to demonize uh, you know that that vitalism that energy that he's you know identifying as like this this is what fascism is you know fascism can't exist without this therefore this is what fascism is. that that is precisely the energy that BAP is is you know concerned with you know like promoting and you know in some ways resurrecting. Um, that's that's yeah, a yeah. you know energy of of you know youth and and masculinity and so on and and, and you know per Lev we might as well just call it you know Vedic Rajas because you know it's close yeah. enough it makes no difference well and that and you know and I I don't agree with Echo that it is a good idea to just exterminate that because it's bad I think that is a, a, a I don't think what Echo's saying 
Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't quite think that's what Echo is saying. It's, um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm just struck by this over and over again, where people bring more of themselves to these texts that may be in there, right? Um, Happens with bring... Foucault every single day, every single day. Yeah. <laughs> could be, it could be. I mean, yeah. like, you know, two, two, two quackway, right? But um, the, you know, the, what people bring to these texts is, is a big chunk of it. And I would say, you know, this is in some sense, you might say this, these kind of texts like BAPS texts, it's a bit like Facebook, right? There's this illusion that there's something there. What happens is the person brings this stuff there. Um, I try to suggest that this is a little bit like a projection screen. It's a distorted one that uh, enables people to get something done. It provides certain kinds of affordances, but also kind of locks people in, right, to a certain understanding of, of well, let's say themselves. Yeah, um, it may or may not let you see the conquistadorships. Yeah. Right. It's, um, you know, what is... I mean, Lev, you, you talked about this as a goal of, of your of your your you know Geo and Lev. This is kind of podcast here, right? It's like how do you how do you liberate how do you liberate people, right? What are the ways in which uh, you know people can you know gain affordances to do things? Um, the there's just something deeply limited about a lot of these texts that people that show up in our research. It's something. There's something off about them, and I maybe it's maybe I still struggle to put my finger on what it is, except to say with chaos that it, there is some kind of attractor state here, where people get stuck, and the only way they leave is, and we talk about this in epistemic counter communities, the the in order to you know regain contact with your potential, you literally have to leave. You have to reject the group. You have to walk away with it. There's there's no well, kind of intermediate state there. And Sorry, that's, no. You know, Bab himself probably illustrates that really, really well with how he basically turned into a boomer Trump posting account. The whole thing is well, odd. I, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't, there's reasons behind. I mean, the same could be yeah. said of Nick Land. Like he's a mm. boomer conservative but uh but what's time uh, what you bring up is very and 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 i don't want to hold you uh, longer here and i really appreciate it i don't want i don't want to seem i i truly deeply support bap and i but i think there are criticisms that are valid and I think even he would even admit himself. Well, just so uh, one last thing that I want but, to leave you with, uh, Simon, because yeah. this is the, this is something that has been brought up again, um, you know, in other uh, podcast appearances that uh, there is an idea of being the individual going out, pursuing various ideas with people and then coming back much more informed. My hope is mm -hmm. that a lot more people get to do it than a lot less. But at the same time, there are always going to be people out there who are not going to do that. And the big question is, what is the, you know, like they refer to Mahayana Buddhism as, you know, the great vehicle. What is the great mm -hmm. vehicle that all these people uh, would be better to be put into? Again, like not to say, oh, well, there are individuals there who want to do their own thing. Great, great. Do your own thing. But as far as like the rest of the people... Again, if if society would be judged how they treat those who are like the least well off, mm -hmm. that should apply to those who are the least well off, mentally speaking, as far as not stretching oh, is, out their imagination yeah. beyond certain mm -hmm. borders. So as far as having a harmonious mm -hmm. society where people get along, you know, where where people mm -hmm. get satisfaction from things in life, where I don't think that satisfaction is being like Walmart Anon for people who know who I'm referencing here, you know. 
know, the guy in mm-hmm. 4chan who takes pictures at Walmart of all the sad people that are sitting down in the break room. You know, like, that's oh, not a that life. Oh, that guy! Yeah, that's not oh, a life. But just as an example, like, that's the big question to me. Not so yep. much about, like, the individualists, the specialists who are right. always going to be curious, who are always going to find each other, like we're doing right now. But let's show a little bit of affection and care for the people who are not at that level because they're still I, out I just, there. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, there's something ringing about. I, 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 I hate this level talk. I, I'm just going to put that out there, right? I, okay. You know, people want to talk about the ordinary man. I don't think anyone's ordinary. It's fundamental misperception, but maybe that's just my whatever trip, right? Yeah, right. I, this this norming language is very dangerous. Uh, and I don't mean dangerous, like politically, I mean dangerous morally, dangerous cognitively. But, but Leva, that's a mild thing. I, I just turn sort a of speech for you. But, you know, I, I, I think of this as we had these great debates in the 18th century about democracy and how we'd actually, and this is nuts, right? Democracy was a bad word. And we learned with great difficulty over time how to set up institutions that actually made it work, right? So, hey, you know, we're in control of our destiny. We, you know, we, we, we own our country, whatever these things mean. We actually had to set up and construct cultural traditions, institutional traditions that actually brought the promise of democracy forward. If we think now our, our challenge is, um, is the, the problem of freedom of thought, right? It's the same thing, right? How do you build institutions that actually magnify this capacity as opposed to in some strange way uh, attenuating it? Uh, democracy without institutions is mob rule. What do we do about cognition? What do we do for the fact that we can now actually the non-privileged person can think for themselves. How do we how do we enable that? That I think is the crucial question. And maybe what I'm hoping is I'm maybe reflecting back something that's on your mind as well. If it's possible. I mean I hope it's possible, but at the same time the realist in me would still assume that, yes, people, you're right, people are all different in their various ways. Not everybody, though, has to be, like, a big-brained expert at some various fields. Some people would just like to play around. Some people like to play hide-and-seek for a living. That's That's beautiful. That's great. One of the the great things about democracy, and I'm interrupting you, Gio, but let me just say, one of the great things about democracy, a well-functioning democracy enables people to flourish even if they're crap at politics and they don't give a damn. They can still flourish politically. That's a bad way. thing about democracy, actually. I, well, I mean, it's a it's a system made by geniuses to be run by idiots, right? And I think that's part of it. But you you um, say, look, you know. Yeah. Anyway, Gio, I, I I've interrupted you, and I I should no, go no, in a go moment. No, no, go ahead, please, but, please yeah. go ahead, please. I know you have no, limited I, time. Um, well, that, I think that's you no. Know, this is this challenge is what do you do? How do you construct a place or a world in which people can truly think freely? Wikipedia was one of the early examples in which this happened. Um, how do you construct that world where you also don't have to be this crazy, you know, crazily guarded epistemic creature? You can, you know, just play around and enjoy yourself, go online, and you're not going to get sucked into some crazy vortex that's going to destroy your life. How and do you set that doesn't up? doesn't have to be an expert at Kolmogorov complicity. Uh, I, you know, that's a great, uh, that's a great Freudian slip, Kolmogorov complicity. Oh, As that was the Kolmogorov of complexity. That's great. I'm in. Oh no, that's that's the term. Look it up. That was that was. Oh, uh, you're you're talking about uh, Scott Aronson's. Uh, yeah, Kolmogorov. Uh, yes. yeah, yeah. teaching yeah, yeah. people to you know state things in the way that's acceptable to the party. Yeah, ex- acceptable to power. So, um, I, I I really appreciate this. I'm I'm being a bit naughty and and sort of taking my leave, but um, Levin Geo and Chaos. I, I really Simon, appreciate thank you so much. Sorry. I am going yep. to show your Thank Twitter you. you right now. Thank you so much. Don't, for don't. In. No, this is this is just pure pleasure. It's um, something in quarantine. I would love to have had this in person. You're so. allowed to. You're allowed to sign off. You have the right of exit. 
Uh, I, I disavow everything associated with that phrase, but I, I, I wish you all very much. Oh, no. Best of luck. <laughs> so. Take care, Simon. Thank you so much. Take I care. really appreciate it. Ciao, ciao. And guys, don't forget to subscribe to BTR. Keep on subscribing. Keep on subscribing. Now we are going to... feel gonna... like I need a cigarette. <laughs> now we're going to focus, focus back in on Chaos Prime. That was a very interesting conversation. But again, it's like, that's the thing that I still like. I think I... what's fascinating to me is that Simon is probably in keeping with certain academic orthodoxies, politically at least, but he's willing to entertain, not just not just entertain, but truly grapple with the stuff that we're saying. And it's wow, that's yeah, powerful. Absolutely, it is. Wow. Man, as as... Somebody who's actually willing to you know have the conversation instead of busting out the torches and pitchforks. Mm. Yeah, I know we. But, I know that's a cliche point. That's a fucking cliche point. But as but far like, as uh, it, what Simon, yeah, go on to you. The, that's the vibe that we're trying to go for at BTR. So. Yeah, this is what BTR does. But, but as far as what Simon was talking about with, uh, you know, encouraging uh, people to think for themselves, I mean, I I mean, I hope that that could happen. But again, like, I just don't know, like, how many people out there in the world who are just, you know, they're going to, I hope they'll go to a higher level. But I just can't say that everybody's going to go to that high of a level. And that's like, but that's the fundamental, it bothers me. Like, I, I don't know what to do about thing, that. It's like... It, it reminds me, and again, this is revealing my age as the 28-year-old boomer, but I remember, like, I was old enough to remember the news snippets during the Bush era where he said, uh, what was the phrase, in order to protect democracy, we have to, like, violate certain institutions of, uh... and he was talking about the war on terror, but, oh, is that your cat left? Yeah, that's Steve. Here oh, he is, Steve. finally. He came in because I have my window open. He always likes the open windows. My Here neighbor had a jet black cat almost exactly like that, but it had like um, apparently certain like female cats when you fix them, their weight goes out of control and it was almost close to 30 pounds. My neighbor's cat. Wow. Uh, jet black. Yeah. Her, uh, her name was lucky. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways. Yeah. So it's, it, it reminds me of like, that war on terror narrative of like, in order to protect Western democracy, we have to like, in some ways violate the fundamental rules that we've set out for the, ourselves. And in a way it's like thinking of like, voluntarily give up our freedoms in order to protect them from our enemies who want to take them from us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in a way you could see this framing around like discourse in the internet age and in the information society how we have to sort of like protect these institutions from it's like the paradox of tolerance stuff but it's deeper than that it's like we have to protect um we have to in order to protect the freedom that we have of discourse we have to like violate certain like dissident voices in order to do that because we can't have this like total cacophony of voices the way that you know things operate within like the difference between media versus the difference between like happenings on the internet. Like I remember Don Jolly had a great video on this where he was talking about, you know, boomers grew up with like the news and Walter Cronkite. And it's like the one, like you could only absorb information unless like, I don't know, they took like letters to the editor, but who fucking cares? Right. Cause they vetted them, but the internet is like very much, you know, multi-perspectival entity of like, now you create 
the very like narrative that you're consuming. It's like, I can go to like some of my favorite posters or YouTubers and be like, Hey, you're full of shit. Or, Hey, I love you. You know, I could like, I could literally DM zero HP Lovecraft and be like, Hey, I love this part of your store. I, I know I'm like, you know, I know I'm sucking his dick, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's a different experience in terms of the way people transform information themselves and process it. You know what? I, I, sorry, I, I know. I'm just. Uh, and by the way, Apathada. Yes, I hope Don Jolly's doing well. I hope he comes back to YouTube, and we have to get him on uh, BTR. I would love to talk to Don Jolly. But uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Chaos Prime. I I hope I didn't cut you off. Uh, I I wasn't trying to say something. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> sorry, I get lost in my own. Oh, we got we got five dollars. We got five dollars oh, from finally, college yeah. from college reactionary. The very, <laughs> the very oh. ignorance and depravity that are used as obscene and bizarre slander are their own release from the social pressure that exists to uh, repress them. Yeah, well, uh, we're definitely seeing examples of that. But again, here we're talking about how the system reacts to reactionaries, kind of like college reactionary probably i don't know i'm just assuming that but for me it's more of a focus on like uh what kind of what kind of positive examples can uh people who are let's say and i know that simon's not a fan of using like the word level stuff like that but in general like people who are more on the top hierarchically however you know pillars of the community whatever you want to say how can you know how can we make sure that they would have a positive influence if they even matter a damn anymore on the people who are, let's say, looking up to them. Because for me, it, it again is more about there are going to be certain people who are going to yearn for other people to tell them how to act. And maybe that's not the best way, but I can't just pretend that that doesn't happen. So for those people who are going to be like that, how do we make sure that they're not going to be succumbing to negative influences, to the kind of influences that would lead them, you know, to have the kind of life that's not going to have that much satisfaction. You could say, well, who am I to say, you know, what makes for a satisfying life? But I don't know that that's the tricky part for me. I don't know. Like, do some people, let's say, have more of a legitimacy to say, like, if you live this kind of life, it's going to be more satisfying most of the time. You know, like they probably have to know the person in their community and their family. But in general, certain assumptions like this could be made for people to follow if they don't want to pursue a certain specialized uh, craft or uh, profession. I don't know. This whole I mean, conversation is, sorry, I just want to like interject really quick, but we're talking a lot about um, kind of like a sort of like patronal uh, attitude towards people and like, how do you uplift them? But I think there's another aspect of that as well, where if you're really trying to uh, give people that, uh, I don't know, intellectual freedom or whatever, or if you're like trying to actually give them autonomy to make their own choices about things, then you have to step back in a certain way. Or uh, the most that you can do is, you know, build a space for them to exercise freedom, which is where these private spaces are or anonymity is. And then you can also equip them with tools that they are, you know, able to use or not in order to kind of pursue their own goals. And so I think that's probably um, kind of like chaos, your whole cognitive arms dealer thing is, I think, directly kind of playing that role of not so much taking on like i'm going to make the world better for you but more like going to enable you to accomplish what you see is best for yourself 
at least that's how I've kind of seen your uh, persona, we'll say. Oh, and oh, before yeah, chaos responds, before chaos, you respond five U.S. dollars from Super Iron Bob. Thank you, Super Iron Bob. He says hashtag bring back no bless bleach. So yes, curious if yeah. yes. So chaos, go for it, brother. Ah, uh, wow! I completely just uh, the the thing we were talking about uh, flew out of my head. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> but uh, right, giving people tools, um, letting you know. And if somebody is pursuing their life in a, in a certain fashion, then they have options, like really available options to do it uh, some other way. Like, isn't that, you know, prima facie evidence that, uh, you know, they find the way they're doing it more satisfying than otherwise. Like, even if, you know, somebody is like spending their life diving into, you know, some kind of like fevered nonsense, like Q, like, you know, I can see how people would get a tremendous amount of, 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 you know, legitimate satisfaction in their lives from engaging with Q. Like they're feeling that they are part of, you know, an important thing that is happening in the world. They're fighting evil. Um, they're, you know, looking behind the curtain and seeing things that other people don't have the intelligence or the courage to see to, or, you know, the, or the, the fortitude to look at, um, you know, that sounds like a, you know, that sounds like a fucking fountain of dopamine, like, you know, or what about to crack or what about heroin? You know, like people can get into all sorts of things that are going to be satisfying to them for the immediate moment. But wasn't it like what's like the Aristotelian, you know, idea of a good life? It's like looking back at the whole thing and then being able to say, you know, whether it was accomplished in such a way as to be uh, satisfying. I know that's kind of like a clinical way of looking at it. I don't really mean to yeah. say that's the only way to look at it. But the idea here is that we could objectively say that, yes, if you like spend your whole teen years, you know, doing drugs all the time, it may be fun, but then eventually you're going to get to a really crappy state in your life that you're going to have to kind of like work out to get out of that pit. So yeah. in that so sense, the, if there the was arms dealing perspective on that would be to say that, you know, we should give people the tools to have a coherent idea of what outcomes they can expect from courses of action that they're, they're looking at and, you know, like make a, a legitimate choice about uh, whether, whether to do that. And like, rather than like going to a party and having somebody be like, Hey, stick this needle in your arm. It'll be fun. And like, you know, now you've, uh, you know, got Jones or whatever. Um, and, well, like, you know, and that gets complicated with, you know, the, the agency of, of, you know, of children and like, you know, really like people under at least the age of 22, uh, like, you know, the, the, you know, there was extensive evidence of the, uh, you know, impaired, uh, time preference and so on that, that comes with, with that. So, you know, it, you know, does, does that justify like some level of, of, you know, coercion to, you know, just simply prevent people from making these choices that like, you know, we as their caretakers and, and so on, uh, you know, think are, are not going to be good for them. Um, you know, some real hardcore anarchists say no, that, you know, we need, you know, total child autonomy. Um, oh, man. Oh, yeah. The child liberation people. <laughs> I've had a thread about them where that leads to, but uh, 
that's yeah that's, that's away from the conversation we're having right no but it's that's kind of another a, episode no but it's a mirror it's a mirror projection of like uh, the other side of it where people are afraid that if there isn't this kind of order then child liberation all this crazy stuff that's what's gonna happen and i guess the thing the thing with me is that i am conflicted on whether any of these things are i, I think that you know, things move the way they move. There's not that much power that uh, we have except for, like, you know, certain circles of people that listen to us or BTR or whatever, who I hope will get inspired doing things in their own life to improve themselves, their families, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, we're still dealing with a lot of people in the world. And so I think that people who are, let's say, leaning more into some authoritarian direction would be thinking, like, hey, Maybe we can put the genie in the bottle. Maybe we can have like some kind of a trad authoritarian system that, you know, there's not going to be that many chaos primes in the world, but there are at least going to be enough asshole teachers that will keep all the kids in line in this authoritarian system as they think. And that's why we have to go back to this kind of system. At least that way it's going to function, you know, the way it should function and all that stuff. Like, and I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. I can see a lot of problems there, but at the same time, do you see like where I'm reaching here as far as they're not anticipating every school teacher is going to be as interesting as you chaos, you know, like, they may be anticipating that people are going to act the way they do, but we're just going to have to apply some societal pressure from the top to make sure that people don't scurry away and do their own thing. And then we'll have like this cohesive society, which again, I don't think it's going to work that way, but mm. uh, that seems to be the approach that people are taking, or at least if I were to go in their minds, I think that would be the approach. Do you notice that too? Or do you think this is just my own, uh, uh, you know, a sort of you know reaction that's happening where like it's like oh no everything is spinning out of control so we need to you know go into this clamp down model that's you know vaguely like how i imagined it was at, at some point or you know i mean are there there are people who still remember having uh, childhoods that were very very regimented i guess there must be uh some still around but, but that also comes down to the thing that i don't understand when it comes to like my childhood, it was regimented in some sense, but I think my parents may be pretty close to you in the sense that they were always for me thinking critically and never, they were never like, because I said so. You know, they were always trying to explain as best as they can why certain things are happening the way that they are happening. And uh, I think that that's a great blessing. But what I don't know is like, how many people are there in general like forget the teachers just like focus on the family here how many families are there in general who would even be able to explain these things beyond the because i said so how many families would just operate based on you know like this thing worked this thing was a thing that my parents did so i'm going to do the same thing and i guess the question for me is if not for these parents who wouldn't be the brightest if not for them what would be the alternative for these kids who again because maybe they're not going to be thinking as critically maybe they're gonna go off and just i don't know just do a bunch of drugs ruin their life whatever if not for this like uh solid force that only knows whatever you know tradition was passed down to them by their forefathers and so on and so forth well simon talked about uh institutions which you know seems like a, a really interesting uh, thought there 
Um, can we imagine new forms of institution that would, you know, provide some sort of, you know, influence or, or structure on, you know, people's lives like that? Can we imagine ones that, you know, people would have options to choose between? Um, some, something, something cognitive syndicalism. <laughs> That's an interesting term. Yeah, Do, I don't know. Are, are not public intellectuals essentially uh, working to nominate themselves to be cognitive syndics? But, but that's hmm. that's hmm. curious though i think that um it, it goes like to the thesis of like the death of the public intellectual because is it the power of the public intellectual to provoke thought but now it's like a conscious like heel turn where they're limiting thought so i i don't know it's it's interesting, or rather, is it that, you know, the public intellectual is dead because now everyone can be a public intellectual. So it's like, you know, it's not that we lack, of, we have a lack of meaning. It's that we have a hyper proliferation of meaning that's like choking everyone, like a constant stream of, uh, you know, but it's not, but it's not created. Yeah, but it's not created equal because some information is going to be a lot more noise than signal, which again is why I understand why Simon thinks that my reasoning is dangerous when it comes to classifying. And again, my classification has nothing to do at all with any, you know, anything that you were born with, basically just like in general, how many people are going to be out there that are going to be pursuing their own uh, intellectual curiosity interests and how many people are just going to be going along with the program. Is that changeable? I hope so in certain respects, but I still think there are going to be a lot more people that are just going to go with the flow of whatever's going on. So again, like for them, what people have, you know, shouldn't people be able to be like, you know, yeah, I don't really want to, you know, fuck around with all this deep shit y'all are on about. Like, I just, I just want to chill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's something that I think is very important too, which again, goes back to my point of if there are going to be more people who just want to chill and play and all that, that's all great. But it's like society would still have to function in a certain way to make sure that, you know, people don't just chill out all day or, or I guess, fuck it. Like if we go back to some neo agrarian lifestyle, then maybe people could like grow food and then chill the fuck out. But then again, it's like so tremendously difficult to farm. Like, remember we had Regan Lodge on the show and he was talking about that, like how people have this idyllic view of farming. Uh, but at the end of the episode though, after the stream was over, I did kind of uh, get some, information from him pointing to maybe there could be a way to have like farms that are closer together so that communities can be closer together and maybe the farm doesn't have to grow that much food like maybe it can grow just like a certain percentage and it'll be mostly like part of it for themselves and it'll get food from somebody else but the reason why i'm mentioning all this like what does all this have to do with anything we talked about before for me, it just has to do with how do we have some kind of harmony and satisfaction? And you could say, well, who needs satisfaction? It's like, I don't know. I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people are kind of miserable right now. And there could be better ways of doing this. And my whole thing is I don't think it should require people to be in the lives of these people who are going to be that knowledgeable because I don't know if we're going to be able to have that many people out there like that. So there would have to be some other kind of like default way, traditional way or whatever, whatever you want to call it, that people would be able to interact in society. Is what we're getting toward here going to wind up being uh, Diamond Age files? What's Diamond Age files? 
from the, uh, Neil Stevenson's The Diamond Age. Oh, um, I didn't the, read the big that. Example one yet. Was, the, was the Vickies, the Neo Victorians, um, where yeah. basically we're we're having like social groupings that are like participating in you know a, a broad pluralistic society, but the social grouping itself is very like tight knit and you know has a, a very you know specific way they do things and a set of traditions. Uh, you know that like you know this this is what we do um and like i mean i don't know if they they have uh you know syndics but it does kind of go to the you know the syndicalistic sort of uh, structure that i'm talking about where you know there is there is no single way that this whole society uh behaves um but there are a lot of like like specific ways of life that you have the option to choose between uh that's you know being imagined there but, I think Bard again, was talking that was, about that too, right? But again, like, I, you know, I don't mean to like NRX post, but like that's Geo's path is prescripted. Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe. Um, no, I, I think that that was a, a product of like the social technology of liberalism being able to shove like all of the, you know, quote unquote problematic thought patterns and endeavors of, of, human existence into the private sphere and the public sphere is like this you know ideology that lacks an ideology a sort of like depoliticized bureaucratic managerial state that can create like public like non-space avenues for like i mean like almost like a mental non-space where like this bureaucratic proceduralism of the pmc class you could say like that becomes like this non-space of compliance where like would that be liberalism or leftism though what do you what did you say would that be liberalism or more leftism because no 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 because this is like basic managerial neoliberal state stuff which i mean i guess to like someone on the right i guess could come off as being liberal but i mean left wing but like that's the point is like this is like the we're talking in terms of like this social technology of the public private sphere that was designed to manage all of these like very deeply contradictory ways of life between people. Right. So, I don't but what does that have to do with liberalism in general? Like it, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be uh, well, a, that, disagree- that was the a disagree- promise of liberalism. Liberalism, like, liberalism needs an agora. Like yeah. there has to be some, some kind of, of common space yes, where you know, pluralistic society can, can, you know, interact uh yeah like the like the agori mentioned in uh, ancient greece but uh what i don't get here is that was it liberalism necessarily that brought it about wouldn't it be the same to say well well it was like uh, the industrial revolution which brought it about or well no but that's a good question because like the chicken or the egg right because if it wasn't for certain advances in technology then uh you could say the massification of any social group wouldn't have taken place. Ergo, you you know, every society prior to like liberal modernity, you could say didn't have, I mean, they had a notion of a separation of different avenues of existence, but not to the extent of like the strictly legalistic, like public private sphere that was in some ways, largely a product of like technology and, and the expansion, not just technology, but also urbanization that is correlated, you know, like, I mean, if it wasn't for urbanization, for instance, that wouldn't have taken place because rural agrarian life is so heavily dependent on you not being separate, like your existence, not being separate from the group. Right. So that, 
I mean, this is speaking of urbanization, though, and like where the word literally comes from, didn't the Roman Empire do pretty well with that? I mean, they yeah, had that, a pluralistic society the before that, yeah. largely based on like a, a central set of laws rather than. Yeah. Well, if you go to Giorgiani, I mean, that's like cosmopolitanism is like even more ancient, right? So, well, he, he'd put that yeah. in Atlantis, you know, he'd put <laughs> that in like all <laughs> yeah. antediluvian civilizations. <laughs> yeah. But no, but it is an interesting thing where you would have Phoenicians. these. Yeah, yeah, the Phoenicians, Phoenicians. Yes, well, yeah. Well, you, what do you have? These ancient civilizations that got extinct, and the survivors came back and like spread civilization around. And it was like this hyper-autistic civilization that would have existed, that would have known all these star patterns, <laughs> and you know, like yeah. it's a very interesting thing for me to think about. But it is also interesting how people see the United States as being kind of like a continuation of it, like a new Atlantis, like some Ooh. kind of a uh, John D. Uh, well, that is his vision yeah. of like a Promethean future is like basically Eurasianism for Americans, which is, but then it's like, we're going to have like this alliance between Eurasia, Iran and America. And it's going to be like the superpowers against um, like the forces of uh, regression. But I, I don't know. I, yeah, it, it is true. But my problem is of course, like academic presentism where like, they mine certain concepts from the past and they're like, well, you know, it's true that the Romans actually did have multiculturalism like we do in Canada over here. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. It's totally the same as Canadian, like Pierre Trudeau invented multicultural state enforced multiculturalism. <laughs> so um, my favorite, I mean, Roman I, I talk smack, but like, yes, it is true. For those in the chat, I am a product of fucking Canadian multicultures because, well, not really. I mean, when my Italian ancestors came here, um, it, they didn't have a good time. Put it this way. They didn't have a good time about it, but that's neither here nor there. Well, you know. I, li I like this uh, Roman emperor over here. I don't remember what his name is, but he looks like George Clooney. Oh, oh show the one that looks like uh, Paul Servino. <laughs> the, I don't the know emperor. the one you're talking about. The mean one know. recently, the one that blew up on... on uh, Wait, the, the the uh the chubby looking weird, yeah, weird one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Looks like ninety zero Paul Servino from uh, Goodfellas. <laughs> okay, I got I got to find I got to find that one. But uh I don't know if we're talking about the Romans and the Greeks and how they had these similar systems. Like liberalism to me is still this idea of having an open door for people to be able to try out uh you know uh different things in life and not be held back by you know having been born in a particular caste or class or something like that and i think that that's actually a healthy system because at the end of the day this is something that would enable a new upper class to flourish from you know having new blood get introduced into it from other people you know what i mean like i think it is a healthy thing to have the elites you know be changed over time and a liberal system would allow for something like that to happen. Now, the problems that we have right now with whatever you want to call it, neoliberalism or whatever, like, I don't know if I should necessarily blame these things or uh, like liberalism for that. Or if I would, then wouldn't I blame all the other, you know, technology and all the other things that have occurred over time to get us to this point as well? Like, I don't think we should necessarily throw out the baby with the bathwater over here because, again, whatever alternative there is if we're talking about like um uh Mussolini for instance the Mussolini from what i understand of you know later period was not the same Mussolini of the earlier he, his position changed him being that you know Duce changed 
the way that he thought, you know, like, uh, I think he was a much smarter person before and then the decisions that he ended up making, you know, I, if the younger Mussolini had a time machine and can go forward in time to the older Mussolini, like, I wonder what he would say to him, you know, like, and that's for me an example of how much being within an authoritarian system would completely change a person regardless of any ideas that he has. Yeah. Which is why, like, I don't think that these strong, authoritarian... strong Marxist argument, material conditions. Yeah. Mm. No, I mean, I, I mean, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that is something that I would, uh, that I would ascribe to these kind of systems, which is again, why, and I know that Churchill, you know, people don't like hearing about Churchill for some reason on BTR, but I do like his quote about democracy being like, you know, a horrible system, but like the best one we have or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and again, like not full democracy, I know representative democracy, but the system I think is one that should be flexible enough not to create these demagogues that would uh, have an, uh, you know, uh, top-down control over things because they're not going to end well. I don't know any example of recent history where such a system ended well, and I can't compare the history of, like, the ancient Greeks and the Romans to now because it was a different time. I mean, Maybe back ends, then for that time... It would have ended well, right? <laughs> what? If it ends, we probably don't consider it to have ended well. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, that's... I mean, I know, Gio, you talked about how, well, like, fascism, um, it didn't really get a chance to exist for that long. But again, like, with the changes that went on through Mussolini himself well, it was in that system... Well, straight from the outside as opposed to... But Again, that with, was Bap's argument. That's the, yes. I was but just not with, uh, but not with Mussolini. As far as it wasn't just from the outside; it was from the inside to here. With Mussolini changing, like I said before, so it was both in that case. And I don't really see this top down, like even in China. I wonder how long Xi Jinping would be able to uh, last, as opposed to the more flexible system they had before, where the elites were replaced on a pretty regular basis by uh, new ones. So well, uh, what's, what's your yeah. take on uh, Lee Kuan Yew in Singapore? Well, mm. that's the same take that I would have on a socialist, uh, quote unquote, socialist uh, Nordic country. You know, you can have like these little, little ass countries where different experiments are done that can work out well due to the size of it. And, uh, as far as Lee Kuan Yew, I mean, obviously in Singapore, not a homogeneous country. We have, you know, Indian people. We have Chinese people. Uh, yeah, but, but they know, like, who rules the place. Is yes, really yes, exactly. But I don't see something like that being able to be done on a wider scale. Sorry, again, yeah, sorry. Uh, again, like the family unit, that's an example of, like, a certain amount of authoritarian rule if you're talking about, like, the parents ruling over the children. But then try to expand that on a wider basis and the wider and wider you get, I'm not sure how sustainable something like that is going to be in the long term. But like, again, I know it's a hackneyed thing to say, but like power corrupts, uh, you know, ultimate power. You, you get the idea. Like, I think that uh, that would apply to larger scales with Singapore. Here's the thing. I would never want to live in Singapore because if somebody, <laughs> if somebody plans some drugs on me, then I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> So I don't want to I don't want to do that, nor do I think you would want to do that if you consider these kinds of ramifications, not even because you do drugs. But in case somebody plants the drugs on you, then you're a goner, you know, so uh, that's why I don't want to live in the system like that. 
Fair. So would you think that we should just balkanize the hell out of everything so that we can try lots of different stuff? Like patchwork? Uh, patchwork. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I I don't know. I mean, what, when it comes to balkanization, uh, that would also create a lot of little Singapores within, you know, controlled by some... Like, imagine if Dan Schneider had his own kingdom. <laughs> you know, like... He would just like create like the Nickelodeon Foot Kingdom, and just like oh, you know, have all these child slaves. And then, you know what I mean? Like that shit Epstein can happen. Island, on... but like <laughs> I forget who tweeted it out. I think it it must have been um, it could have been Menace, where he's like, um, you know, give give the Epstein give little Saint James back to the uh, <laughs> the indigenous pedophiles that lived there before Epstein. <laughs> So, uh, I think that was a Nick Mullen. Oh, oh Nick Mullen! That was a Nick Mullen. Uh, yeah, that was. <laughs> oh god! Uh, the, it's but, but, it's really it's kind of late where I am. I, mean, I I know we gotta so we gotta go soon, guys. But, but just, yeah, uh, probably about time to wrap it up. It is time to wrap it up. But one last thing, I just wanted to draw out here with this. Is there a work. show on Thursday or Friday, Love? What there is, is a show on Thursday. Yes, let's actually do that first. So, guys, we are going to be having a lot of interesting things coming up. We are going to have a show on uh, Thursday, March 11th. Alexander Bard is back with us. Oh. We are going to be having a show about Europe, the EU, and we are going to have the following people in there. We're going to have Andrzej Kolzowski. Martin K is going to be on the show as well. Big uh, mm. Alexander Bard fanboy. We are going to have Gareth Millward joining us as well. And Gareth is a historian at uh, Warwick University's history department. A welcome fellow working on sick notes. Um, vaccinating Britain. Okay, and then we have Ronan McRae also joining us. He studied law and later politics and is now a professor of constitutional and European law at the University of Co uh, University College London. Uh, and we are also going to be joined by Anne Elizabeth Moutet, who I had a great conversation with, and uh, she is French. She's actually originally from uh, Russia in a part of her family, like from... Uh, like part of the imperial, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into it right now. But anyway, she works for The Telegraph, 28 Minutes, Arte TV, Unheard, Cap X, BBC, mm. New York Post, Adopted by Two Cats. Uh, so uh, oh, there we go. So Anne Mute And also, Anne if, if, yeah. if someone knows him, we would also appreciate Nicolo Salo to come on that. That, that one about cool. European politics. That'd be cool. So, That'd be a good pipe bomb in the conversation. Yes. And uh, we are going to have John Stokes on Tuesday, March 16th. He is the founder of Ars Technica. We are also going to be joined for that with uh, by Catherine Brodsky. Andrea Seabrook is back with us for that one. And we are also going to have Indian Bronson. He's going to be joining Whoa. us for that one as well. And, uh, okay, I'm trying to get in touch with Daniel Pinchbeck and figure out when the psychedelic stream is happening. That is still adjusting right now so thursday march 18th it could either be the psychedelic stream or it could end up being something else what could it end up being it could end up being a, a stream with sonia supposedly a sewing discourse with sonia supposedly so hopefully we're going to be able to make that happen and i'm going to find out real soon then we're going to have tuesday march 23 sean lang our friend sean lang is going to be back with us to talk some history Thursday, March 25, we are going to be sowing discourse with Grit Cult. 
the mm. BTR grit cult scissoring is afoot, and we are gonna have <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have an entertainment stream Thursday, uh, April one, with Chris Gore, who is the uh, founder of Film Threat. He's gonna be joining us along with uh, my friend, the great animator Patrick Smith, and uh, Catherine Brodsky is joining us uh, uh, as well. So there we go. A couple of more things. Alex Kashuda, Thursday, April 8th. Uh, we are going to have a stream on, uh, let's see. Well, all these th all these things are just like down, down the line. So I'm not going to get into them right now. Or I could get into this one over here. So we are also going to have a stream on the future of governance and liberty. Two of the guests who have confirmed right now are Mark Terrell. He is the founder of Undavos, author of Scaling. He is a World Economic Forum tech pioneer from uh, 2008, and now is a World Economic Forum oh, young uh, uh, leader uh, alumni. So we are also gonna we are gonna have him, and we are gonna have a uh, Garrett Jones, macroeconomist at George Mason University, author of 10% Less Democracy. So uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be. I, I think we're gonna have to censor the chat for that one, Lev. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I have faith in the oh. chat. I'm, I'm a chat <laughs> respecter. Uh, a literal Davos person. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, God. he's he's great. I I, I met him on Clubhouse. He, he's great. Uh, so uh... of course you met him on Clubhouse. <laughs> of course. No, this well, is someone what we said do. Clubhouse is like LinkedIn with a Discord feature. That could be true. Yes. But... No. This this is what BTR does. We want to bring all these worlds together and just get to the bottom of you know why don't people like the Great Reset? No, I want to find everything out. <laughs> <laughs> This is what we What's do. What's not to like about the Great Reset? <laughs> <laughs> so, we should we should get oh my god we should get James Corbett Corbett Report for that one and he could go. like grill an actual Davis person that'd be amazing. No no, no let, <laughs> let, let's go again as long as everybody's respectful then I am for it. Oh and also we're gonna have a stream May fourth on uh, conservatism and one of the people who has already uh, signed up is Libby Emmons uh, and she's an editor at the Post Millennial a uh, writer for the Federalist New York Post, Quillette, Unheard Spectator oh, USA uh, American I, I Conservative tell me dragging myself in. <laughs> <Digital>. Jesus <laughs> so there we go guys I'm bringing in a lot of interesting people together this is, this is what we do so I'm so grateful and thankful for everybody being here just one last thing about the patchwork thing uh, the other important thing I think is that, um, I mean, look, I don't want to get into it too deeply right now, but it's noticeable, at least to me, that there are certain standards we would apply for countries that are, you know, despite all the relative corruption and stuff like that, there are still countries that are like democracies, republics, whatever you want to call it, relatively free countries. And for those relatively free countries that support each other, I don't want them to be split up and fractionalized in such a way that there would be like demagogues that would be controlling like little sectors here and there. You know what I mean? I'm not a big fan of that, which is why I don't think that that model we're talking about would necessarily work in the long term. 
So I don't know what the solution is, but that is just one critique that I would have of it. And I don't know, like, uh, Chaos, if you would, uh, or uh, Ostaf or Gio or anybody else, if there are any more uh, thoughts in that uh, manner. But otherwise, uh, we're going to uh, finish off the stream. So let me know. I think um, I, we're kind of like talking about two different things at once, where we're talking about the viability of the society and then also the humane aspect of it, right? And so mm -hmm. there's like a degree of uh, the freedoms that you want or the pro-social uh, network maybe that uh, if you're not careful, you're going to build something really fragile and then you've got the quokas where the, you just get steamrolled by whatever uh, superior mimetic forces out there to take you over. And I think that's kind of like, I think the patchwork model uh, devolves into that too, where there's going to be states that are stronger than other ones and I'm, a, I'm kind of a sucker for this uh, Dawkinsian kind of mimetic uh, framework. I think in that way a lot, but like mm. it's just a system of evolutionary competition where the stronger states are going to outcompete the other ones and eat them, absorb them, and then yeah. pretty soon you're going to be left with something, again, very similar to the world as it stands today, just in terms of there being big nations, which are structured kind of like this, and then there's smaller nations, which are maybe a little bit more variance, but... I so know, what I heard you saying is that we need deeper ecological niches. Uh, yeah, that's actually, I think, something that technology or people who are like innovating in through technology need to really be focusing on. It's like, how do we broaden in that direction to where we have a much wider range to go over? Absolutely. And guys, uh, here's the thing. I don't know well, why we're, we're kind we... Uh... Of, uh, uh, we're on. kind of entering that with like the fact that people find like massive social media sites intolerable so it's like we're almost going back mm. to like an older model of the internet of like dark foresting where it's going to be like you know like the forum days or like the million little islands of the internet i mean who knows right but by the way guys today in the stream we got to 3050 but now i'm looking mm. and i'm seeing 3045 what the fuck is going on this wow. is not right listen i need you to subscribe right fucking now get the number back up to 50 this is no good get the number back up and i really appreciate all of you we need to get the subscribers i don't know what happened maybe some of the people i mean you don't know how all this works you know we could have gotten new people and then some older people would have been like, you know, fuck this. I don't care about patchwork. I don't care about any of this shit. And they <laughs> went away. Either way, guys, subscribe to BTR right now. We need your support. And also go to patreon.com slash break the rules. The links are in the description for all of this as well as our Discord. So become a member of our Discord as well. When you become a patron, by the way, you get access to a super secret part of the Discord server. And you also get access to post images in btr chat which i know a lot of people are dying to do also when you become a 20 dollars patron you are going to get a custom beautiful wooden magnet created by my father alexander polyakov the ones that i'm showing off over here these are a little bit more abstract but we're going to make ones that are going to be a little bit more solidified including an inflated lioness and also a definitely legit magnet so it's going to be like the collie dog as a wooden magnet and uh i can't wait for both of them to be done to show them off to everybody 30 dollars patrons are going to get a beautiful geo print from the tfw no gf series here we have geo in action 
and $50 patrons are going to get all of the above, as well as a completely custom magnet. Whatever you want, we're going to turn that into a wooden magnet. Another beautiful painting, this time from Geo, in the Bob Ross style. Jules Hamilton is going to paint a uh, figure for you, and uh, we are also going to have a bunch more goodies in store, because this is how much we care about you. Oh, it's because you mentioned Davos people? Come the fuck on. This is what we do here at BTR. The point <laughs> is that we're supposed to bring in people who disagree. So fuck all the well, haters I, I don't know, who Lev, unsubscribed. I mean... Lev, there was probably just a YouTube purge. It's fine. Yeah, that's what that's what Modern Hermeticist said, that there's probably a YouTube purge. Um, oh, man. Well, either way, look, I, I personally think that having Davos people on is actually an exciting thing because when else are you going to have the chance to speak with Davos people with, you know, this is like a rare they, thing. This is a great they opportunity. People that just don't post anything that just lurk. That's probably what it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Well, either way, I really appreciate everybody for being here. Uh, Chaos. Oh, and subscribe you... to my YouTube channel, yes. by the way. Yes. Giner Productions. I need to get, I'm almost at 900. I need to get to 1,000 subs before I can unlock all of the grifting techniques. Uh, go and watch my recent, uh, if you just want to chill out, you know, my recent painting video. Uh, it's it's one painting I'm doing for a series of paintings for uh, Man's World magazine. So, um yeah, if you just want to like relax for a minute, listen to some great music by Philip Daniel, watch a painting. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, you know, why do you watch Bob Ross? Because uh, <laughs> I don't know. exactly, uh, subscribe, subscribe to Geo right now. I should just do that, man. I should just like totally like whore myself out and <laughs> pump out like a painting, like two, three painting videos a week of just Bob Ross landscapes. I could fucking do it. I could just... absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a beautiful thing. And also follow Ostov at Hopeful Abandon over here. So mm -hmm. he, he, here he is, the beautiful hedgehog in the fog. I'm uh, I'm happy you are a fan of Yuri Nor Norstein. I uh, like his work, too. A lot of Japanese people are really obsessed with it, too, by the way. Like they just kinda, like there's like a small group of Japanese folks who I heard like went to Yuri Norstein and were just like his disciples, like treated him like some kind of a god. Uh, well, anyway. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, and of course, Chaos Prime. I want to promote Chaos. Now, what would you like me to promote right now, brother? I will promote anything you want. Oh, yeah, still Caves of Code is probably fine. Cavesofqud.com. It's uh, the uh, video game that I work on. Classic roguelike, far future science fantasy setting. All very excellent. Here is the link to Caves of Qud. Beautiful game. Guys, go there, play the game subscribe to chaos prime and uh just let's keep doing this let's keep growing let's bring on the davos people let's bring on the journalists let's bring on all these people and we're going to do a mass scissoring that's going to create a beautiful vajra like explosion in the universe and this is what we're here for so anyway guys is a tantric I, thing everything's everything yes. is tantra even the okay. weaving of baskets as Aaron <laughs> cowboy Yoni. told us the exactly yoni, yoni. there is like this that. really crazy poem in one of the uh alex gray books called art psalms where he like talks about like oh never mind i'll i'll do a dramatic reading <laughs> one day on my channel it's i love it Lev, you know you know that vajra means lightning and diamond and penis right yeah of course mm -hmm. i mean <laughs> why else uh why else would you have these uh 
I'm going to show this picture and then that's it. I promise it's the end of the stream. But uh, the uh, Sumerians, you know, like the Sumer the Sumerian uh, bull statue? You know the one I'm talking about? Uh, no, is it Babylonian? I think it's... Uh, hold on. It's the... It, oh, this one over here. Bull. Hold on. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Hold on. I am almost there. This one. Okay. I want you to pay attention to this photo and we're going to leave really soon. But here we go. Here's the photo. So the head... Uh, here the head is it doesn't it look like a penis yeah there we go there we go it's like our head is also a penis because we have the slit over here in the skull and that's like where the kundalini goes into and it crosses with the spiritual energy you know from the source which then goes down like from our um from our thousand petal lotus that it's is a divine connection and then it goes down up and down and up and down and all around. Anyway, guys, this is the end of the stream. Mwah! Good night, everybody. God bless. Good night. Kundalini uh, Dragon.